Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? And today, we've got a special guest, an accomplished musician, an engineer, and a member of one of our favorite bands, Gates, Kevin Dye. Woo! Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited about this. Gates is one of our favorite bands, and... You know, we're going to get into the fawning stage of the podcast <laughs> later. So, so you know it's coming. I'll prepare myself. I'll prepare myself. Prepare yourself mentally for that. But uh, how's it going, man? How's, how's your life going in these modern, crazy times that we live in? Uh, you know, it's going about as good as I think one could expect. Um, you know, I'm healthy and safe, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most important thing. I'm still working as a freelance audio producer, mixing engineer. So that's that's great. I got that going on. Um, my wife is still working, which is great. We adopted a new dog, which has been really fun. Oh, that's so awesome. we got some some things to do, but um, obviously it's still pretty pretty scary and uh, everything's in disarray and it's just kind of difficult to figure out you know exactly how to proceed in a lot of areas of life as I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing but absolutely so where do you live currently I currently live in Greenpoint Brooklyn ah so you're you're close to me I'm in Williamsburg got it you know I actually bumped into you at one of your jobs on Manhattan Avenue oh uh, at Sunshine yeah I saw you and I was like I think that's the guy from Gates so and so I peeped I like peeked at the songs you were playing like on the on the house system and yeah. i was like it, i was like it's got to be these are all bands i know so i was like hey <laughs> what's your name and then you told me and i was like awesome if i if i have one thing to enjoy out of that job it's playing the music that i that i love to to listen to so that's always yeah. a good that was always a, a fun part of that job is people come in and like oh i love this playlist you know it's that was a that was an entertaining part of that for sure but yeah, and that place is awesome. That was the first time I went there, and if things ever open back up again, I would like to go again. Oh yeah, it's super cool. The owner Peter, uh, I've known him since I moved to Brooklyn. He that place used to just be a laundromat. Yeah, and he gave me my first job here. I I used to live on Noble Street right there, so I would walk to work. It took me five minutes to get to work, and I would just fold people's laundry and sweat in like 120 degrees. Yeah. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years before. I got another job and then eventually we did a tour or something and uh, I had to call him up and pull a favor. And when I went there to get my old crappy laundromat job back, he was like, oh, I built a bar. So it it worked out really well. And he's always been really supportive of me and let me come and go as I please. So, um, you know, that place is a really great business to support, I think. Yeah, when you, I, I figured they just build it all at once because when you walk in, it's a laundromat. It's a working laundromat. And then you open a washer and dryer in the back and there's like a secret bar back there and a ton of pinball machines. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a really cool place. Honestly, it was all pretty haphazardly done. We were like, I remember staining the bathroom on op- the opening night, like yeah. with one of the other bartenders, like, what are we doing? You know, but um, <laughs> like I said, I've known Peter for so long. It was just fully expected. And honestly, that door that looks like a a washer or a dryer that you open up to go into it. Yeah, it, it was he was cutting that hole like I'm not kidding you, like 15 minutes before that place opened and like drill <laughs> that thing. on. He was like, I got an extra dryer front. Should I make it look like should I make the door look like a dryer? Like couldn't have been more like 
haphazardly done. So it uh, wasn't planned out in any way, shape or form, <laughs> which is just how that guy rolls. So um, I think that adds to the charm for sure. Oh, yeah. That's how the best things always happen. Just yeah. on the fly. So I'm going to take us back a bit. Now, you grew up in Michigan, correct? I did. Yeah. Where in Michigan? I grew up in a town called Novi, which is a pretty bland, middle class suburb, um, like, you know, like anywhere USA kind of. I think the most notable thing about Novi is it has a, a pretty large mall, which I didn't know was a notable thing about it until I, I moved out of Michigan. And then people mm-hmm. I meet here um, that are from Michigan, a lot of times at the bar too, when I'm checking IDs or whatever, I'd be like, oh, you're from Michigan. They'd all be like, oh, you're from Novi, that that really cool mall. And I'm like, <laughs> I just kind of thought, well, we had, the mall was a thing growing up. It wasn't really something I thought too much about. But that's, I guess, the most notable thing about my hometown. So it's pretty, um, pretty nothing, you know? You know, malls... Like, I've lived in cities for so long now that I forget, like, what malls are like. So when I travel for work, like, I've been all over in Michigan and everywhere else in the Midwest. So sometimes I'll end up in a mall, and I'm like, this is this is cool. I forgot what this was like. This used to be, like, what I did on a Friday night, just walk around the mall, go to the arcade, you know? Yeah, it was the thing to do, right? I mean, we'd get dropped off there and, I don't know, go to Hot Topic and Spencer's Gifts and, like, walk around. I, what did we... We weren't even... I had to call my mom on the payphone to come pick me up, you know, so... Exactly, it was yes. It was something to do, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, before, like, you have a car, you... I don't know, the mall, that was the meeting place. You're growing up in Novi. Now, have you always had an interest in music your whole life, or was there, like, a, a kicking point? Uh, Well, I started playing guitar in fourth grade, so uh. it was pretty early on. My parents are not musicians, but they always listen to music and they listen to modern music too, which is, I find to be kind of a, an interesting setup, but, um, you yeah. know, they were really into grunge and I, I remember like, um, like just taking my parents CDs cause they had Nevermind and my dad huh. really liked the black album by Metallica when that came out and my mom loved Guns N' Roses. And so like, I, I grew up with a lot of music. Um, and a lot of like opinions about music, I guess, like flying around in my family. And I tried to do, um, team sports a little bit and I I just wasn't that great at it. Mm -hmm. Um, not a really athletic person. So I think at some point my parents were like, you got to do something. So they got me, um, my, my grandma actually had this old nylon string guitar, and it, it was by a company called Del Rey, and I still call it the Del Rey to this day. Um, hmm. I'm pretty sure it has the same strings on it <laughs> that it had wow. when I first started playing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I learned on that for a little bit, and then they got me a Squire Stratocaster I, I almost, I think, about a year into it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I've been playing ever since. I just kind of like that was the thing I gravitated towards. I think it's mostly because it was um, something I could do on my own. I'm a pretty pretty... I'm pretty okay with being being by myself and just kind of working on stuff and and learning things and being creative. So I think that part of it appealed to me. There wasn't a lot of pressure to like mm-hmm. have to do well or be better than anyone else. I could just kind of come up with whatever and um and yeah, I've been playing ever since. So So you're more of an introvert. Uh definitely. Absolutely. Me too. Now I, I used to be like an extrovert class clown, but I I, I think I revealed too much of myself when I was young and and I don't know, people just thought I was weird, so everybody kinda turned on me and that 
that kind of pushed me into being an introvert. And then I became super shy and super sensitive and just cautious of everybody because I'm like, you know, I don't want anybody like making fun of me or judging me or coming at me. Yeah, you know, I honestly, sometimes I try to think of like the impetus for the moment that I maybe became a little more reserved, but I mm-hmm. can't really think of a specific incidence where I would where I would place all of that on there. But, um, you know, I don't I don't really ever remember being that of of an much of an outspoken person. I'm pretty I'm pretty opinionated and I was definitely very opinionated for a long, long period of time and extremely outspoken about a lot of things. But like, you know, to my five friends, not, yeah, <laughs> not exactly. like going around, like telling everybody how I feel about stuff. I'm very like, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm always I've always been cautious in, uh I've had a lot of social anxiety, you know, even into adulthood. So I get really weirded out by conversations. I think way too long about um, if I said anything that oh, I yeah. shouldn't have said way after I'm sure after we finish this I'll be like what what did I say you know so um yeah I meticulously edit this thing to like make myself sound less stupid in my ears you know what I mean yeah. like I I think about like what if this show was live it would be my worst nightmare <laughs> yeah if you can make me sound awesome that would be that'd be really cool just cut out everything stupid I say I do that for everybody you're yeah. in good hands you, you know how to edit a podcast then you know yeah, hey, I just learned. It's it's going great. <laughs> but yeah, it would depend on the situation. Like I could be really shy or really extroverted and I just kind of settled on on being really shy and, you know, really reserved and but I I had some friends that got me into like hardcore and taking me to shows and and then you know, once I had like a solid friend base, that kind of that's always what brings me out of my shell is like being surrounded by people I can trust. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh once once i learned i could form a band and yeah. and have have my friends join in on it it was it became a kind of a different beast altogether um my brother who is a little under 3 years younger than me he always played he he ended up picking up the bass so we played together a lot but then we ended up getting a drum set you know because we kind of took to it my parents just kind of got us a ton of instruments you know and it was never anything like really really fancy it was just like a you know a couple hundred dollar drum set or whatever and then we'd get like a karaoke mic and a tape deck and all this stuff and we'd eventually kind of amass all of these these little pieces and um once once we kind of became that it was kind of we we had a couple friends that we drew into it and then you start to kind of find what groups you work with the best you know and I mean, mm-hmm. with me, my brother, and then my best friend to this day, we were in a, a high school band together for all of high school. And then we formed a band in college, even though my best friend didn't, we didn't even go to the same school. Um, and we were in that all the way until about the end of college. And then Gates was the first band that I ever had without those guys in it. Yeah. You know, so it was, I think to say that it was, it formed a very lasting and bonding friendship um, with those guys is would be very true and i think the same thing rings true with gates so i think like music is definitely the way i've found people i could connect with I, i'm not really good at uh you know the web like weather talk and uh small talk so yeah um yeah. i think would when you're in a band with someone you're instantly jumping into these really large conversations about creativity and you know what what what's going on in the world i mean these we're writing these songs that are you know 
for anyone who who's never heard our band is, is and I don't know why it'd be maybe you know listening to this without without knowing <laughs> that but uh you know it's like yeah it, it's kind of a heavier subject matter a lot of times yes. and yeah. um yes so I don't know I think it's something you have to you have to trust people and and know that you can kind of just jump in at that level and um, I'm not saying we're not total total goofballs most of the time, but it's nice to know that that comfort's there, and you can create those friendships just through being in a band with somebody. So absolutely, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten okay with you know small talk about the weather and stuff. You need that sometimes, but through people and music is where I've always found the deepest connections. And you know, Tommy and I—that's that's why we started yeah. this podcast. Like we just getting together our mutual love of music and talking about shows and. Just the insane amount of crazy bands that have come from our area were like, yo, we should we should be talking about this with people. So that's that was kind of the impetus for the whole thing. Yeah, and then the other thing was like, Keith, you used to like go and Keith's big thing is he actively searches out bands and finds new music. So Keith was like this conduit that just consistently sent me awesome stuff. And actually that's how I found Gates was through Keith just texted me. He was like, you have to check this band out. Like it, it, it's that simple is that we really just bonded over the fact that we liked the same style of music consistently. Like every time we were like, oh, yeah, that's that's dead on. That's exactly you hit my my taste like completely accurate. Kevin, do you ha- do you have a friend who has like pretty much close to the exact same music taste as you? Um, well, I was going to say that I think the person who would be the, the Keith in my life, especially growing up, was my friend Bob. Yeah. Um, because I met him in sophomore year of high school and he I think he finds a lot of like joy in finding bands that people are really going to like. He he wants to figure out your taste. Yeah. You know, so if he if he found a band he'd be like, "You know what? I think Kevin is going to love this." And he'd play it for me and I'd be like, "I hate it." And he'd be like, "Dang, why doesn't he like that? All right, I'm going to I'm going to find this other thing. I'm going to play him this, you know." And honestly, a lot of the stuff he played me early on would be like he played me Death Cab when they f- were first a band, you know, he's like, this band's amazing. And I'm like, I hate, this sounds like shit. I hate this band, you know, and like they're, <laughs> they're probably one of my favorite bands of all time. So um, he he definitely was ahead of the curve on a lot of bands. He sent me a lot of bands that I wrote off at first um, and then ended up loving. So he was definitely like the Keith in my life for sure. He was um, that person who was just constantly showing me new stuff. Yeah, f- finding a new band that I absolutely love and a song I can listen to fifteen times on repeat is like the best natural high for me. So I'm always, I'm always looking for it. And you know, I just know I can send Tommy anything, and we're we're pretty much in sync, like for the most part. And that's that's a rare and beautiful thing. It is really because it's really nice whenever I get a text and I see that there's a Spotify link to it. Like I kind of get like that like chill moment of like, yes, this could be the next song like that I get like <laughs> obsessed with, <laughs> yeah. and I just play on repeat for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, I mean that there's is there's truly nothing better than that feeling of hearing something uh, for the first time that's just blows you away. I feel like I get as I get older and older, I come across that less and less. I don't know yes. if it's because. Um, I don't have a friend who's necessarily showing me these things or I'm jaded and I've heard a lot of stuff or I'm just kind of like, you know, settled in what I like or I don't really know what the the cause of it is, but um, it's pretty rare. I come across a record and I'm just floored by it at this point, you know? Yeah, it only happens like once a year, maybe. 
Maybe, but I I look forward to it whenever it is going to happen. So, Kevin, you sound like me. Like, I was really negative and just, like, a hater when I was young. And it was mostly because I was just, like, I don't know. I I was just unhappy. So I would be like, oh, that sucks, or I'm not listening to it because of this. And I still have some of those tendencies, but I've definitely dropped a lot of it. So, yeah, there was a lot of bands where I was just like, I'm not listening to that. And then they ended up becoming my favorite bands. I I actually have, a like... um... Anthony Green gave me a promise ring. He gave me, made me a tape. Yeah. And he was like, you got to check out promise ring. And I was like, okay. And I remember at this time, keep in mind, I was like into like mush mouth and like coming correct <laughs> and like the toughest tough guy, like crazy, like die cast and stuff like that. And yeah. I remember him giving it to me and I was like, oh, this is bullshit. The guy's like singing and it's like all corny. I, every time I drive my family down to the shore for the last, you know, 10 years, yeah. I play nothing feels good in its entirety. Like I listened to the whole record beginning to end and to the point where like my daughters, when we get in the car, they're like, put on the shore music, put on that (laughs) shit, put on the shore record. And that's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. Sometimes it just stuff takes a minute to get to you, you know, or it it has to grow on you or it's the last thing you would expect on earth to, to just like fall in love with, you know? And, um, I, I would say definitely at the, I, I think I probably, my feelings stemmed mostly from, jealousy almost i think like yeah what what, for one i was always into recording and production Mm -hmm. and very early on i i grew really attached to that in tandem with music you know i was attempting to make records that sounded like as good as all my favorite records on you know crappy recording equipment and Mm -hmm. um you know always thought you know, there, if if a record didn't sound good, that there it was bad. You know, it was there was always a that block, roadblock for me. You know, I would say that de- that Death Cab record is a great example. Like something about airplanes is a really raw sounding record. It was clearly recorded on a pretty low budget. So when I was younger, not like I knew exactly what I was listening to, but I just knew that that sound didn't appeal to me. You know, mm-hmm. I was really into like. Mark Trombino, like Jimmy World Bleed American recordings, you know, so I wanted like I I came from the Andy Wallace Nirvana Rage Against the Machine days. So like it needed to be up to that quality of those like giant grunge records from the 90s. Mm -hmm. So when I started hearing these these other bands that I really loved, like I was obsessed with like Finch in in high school because it sounded so good. You know, it was a Mark Trombino recording. Listening back to it now, I'm like, it doesn't really, it doesn't sound as good maybe as I thought it did, but, um, uh, <laughs> tastes do change over the years, but yeah, you know, I'm like, I, for some reason that was something that really resonated with me. And and then on top of that, I think, I think in, in my music scene in general, I think that's where kind of the, the jealousy thing came about. I, I, I think I was always trying, my band in high school was kind of goofy. Um, we had a lot of songs that I, I would say borderlined on being jokes Mm -hmm. they were kind of tongue-in-cheek and intended to be a little funny yeah you know we had a our record was called fight the power and my brother drew the the the, uh cover art and it was like anime and we were all anime characters (laughs) and um you know the the song fight the power was not it was you know not a political song in any way it wasn't based at all on the track that we clearly ripped the name off of but um it was just a song where we said one, two, three, four, fight the power, and then people would do the wall of death to it. <laughs> you know, so it was like it was just a joke. It was kind of just a funny joke a little bit, but at some point, like my friend Bob was in a really cool creative band 
mm-hmm. um, that I loved. And, you know, everyone thought that they might actually get signed or something because they were so um, they, they were actually really good, like good and creative. Not to say we weren't a good band. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, we were we were fine. We were we were probably better than than I, I think I expected us to be. But I think I saw that and I'm like, I really want to make this kind of like really creative music that is taken really seriously. I, I want to be really taken seriously as an artist. So mm-hmm. somewhere along the lines in high school, I really got uh, obsessed with that idea. And I think I was always try- kind of trying to play catch up with myself after that. So I became kind of this opinionated guy where I would write off a lot of stuff early on for random reasons, you know, and then later circle back around to it. And even to, to a certain extent, like circle back around to it and it would become my favorite band of all time, but never seemingly learn the lesson of like, well, maybe I should have come in to this with an open mind to begin with, you know? So that went on for quite some time, even, even the beginning of me becoming a producer. Um, you know, I feel like I, I was a little forceful with my opinions on bands that I started working with and kind of thought it was that my way was correct. You know, Mm -hmm. even though this is clearly an extremely creative field to be in and there is no right way to do anything. I mean, anyone could tell you that now. I mean, they're making hit records on laptops. So, um, (laughs) to be, I don't know, to be like high and mighty about anything now, just seems really foolish to me. So, um, but I, I definitely carried that mentality with me a a long time. And again, I couldn't tell you where, where that came from you know? Yeah, I, I did too. And I, I think when you're younger, you just think, you know, your way is everything. And I, I, I was like that too. And I th- I think a lot of it just came from insecurity. Like I would make fun of everything because like, I don't know, it's easier to make fun of everything than to like have an opinion and stand by it. Cause like, what if someone shoots it down or says it's stupid? And I don't know. And I was just like, no, what, what I like is the best and what everyone else likes is stupid unless it's what <laughs> I like. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, I remember going to parties, like, with normal-ass people and, like, putting on Converge, and everyone would be, like, getting so mad at me, and I'd be like, what? What, are you going to listen to Sublime, man? Like, you know, and just <laughs> just being a disturbance, and, you know. I, I relate to that so heavily. I mean, I yeah. swear, even even to this day, yes, we bought, like, a we bought a dog pool so we could put it in our, we have, like, a front driveway, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's been 95 degrees here, so we're like, let's, let's cool off, let, let the dog cool off, and... We went down there and my wife put on some like top 40 country stuff. Yeah. Which we like to listen to, you know, just for whatever. It's it's fun. It's And it's always produced really well. So I'm always like listening in on all that. And um, I went to the store to grab some White Claws because we, we were going really go, leaning into it. And uh, <laughs> when I got back, she had made a phone call and like disconnected from the Bluetooth. So I connected it and started playing Explosions in the Sky. And she was like, Really? You know, like, because I'll always, yeah, still to this day, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put on Sugar Roast this morning, you know, and and she's yeah. like, dude, I don't want to like feel horrible about everything right now. Can you put on like, can we listen to like Dua Lipa or something, you know? So I totally relate to that. And I definitely was that person like, you know, listen to this weird, obscure, why, why isn't this weird, obscure, random band the biggest band on earth? Like, yeah, <laughs> for obvious reasons to everyone but me, apparently. I used to have no barometer for that whatsoever. Like I'd, I'd be hosting a party and I'd put on like explosions or Caspian or like post rock. A lot of post rock is not like 
party music. So, no, no. so, so now when I'm like at my girlfriend's house and she's like, "Do you want to put on some music?" I'm like, "No," because we're, we're going to choose between like hardcore and post rock and like hip hop. Then, uh, you know, those, those that's not dinner time music for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would, I'd, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm like, nah, yeah, I'm good. I'm not yeah. going to be the DJ. You know, that's why when I when honestly getting that bar job, I learned a lot of uh, I learned about a lot of bands because um, I kind of was forced to find stuff that wouldn't be completely jarring to people coming into a bar just to yes. enjoy. And it's a weird bar. It doesn't need to be like top 40. But like, you know, I would like, all right, I'm going to dig into some shoegaze stuff, you know, and like I, I don't I don't even know who Ride was until I made a playlist at that bar. Bar, oh, really? you know and i was like oh my dude this is and of course i think nigel godrich produced it so it was like of yeah. course it sounded amazing and like you know i'm like how how is this made in the 90s it sounds like it came out like two years ago you know and yeah and got really into a lot of music that um i, I didn't have any idea about prior because i had to full, kind of force myself to be like all right well no one's gonna listen to donna Mitty in like a bar so i gotta come up with like i gotta i gotta find something cool you know yeah so what were your early bands like? What was your like what was your thing? Were you guys playing hardcore or post-hardcore or like what was your what was going on? Well, like I said my my high school band was kind of a kind of corny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but honestly the pe- like people it was that uh American Legion Hall days and we were renting out you know the Legion Hall and and having eight bands on the bill all day. Oh yeah. And everyone from the high school came and we were kind of the pop band in the high school. I mean, like people you didn't expect to come to the shows were coming there and like singing along to our songs because they were pretty easy, pretty accessible and easy to get. And obviously we were Blink-182 fans, too. So, uh, yes, um, I think that probably had a little bit to do with the kind of like, yeah, funny stuff. So it was it definitely was all over the place, though. It was like. And we played some covers. We played Juliana Theory, Movie Life, um, and then we covered Faith by George Michael, but also by Limbiscuit. Um, <laughs> and that was the song that I sang for some yeah. reason. Um, so that was a really random one. Uh, but, you know, it was just all over the place. I mean, we had a song that was like, it's not kind of sound like a Beatles song. And then we had one that was straight up like, a Blink-182 ripoff, and then we had, like, a kind of post-hardcore-y song. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, we didn't have any sort of identity. And then in college, I started a band, and that was when I was like, I'm going to, uh, you know, make this really artsy-fartsy prog record yes. that is really over the top. And my best friend was the singer and the lyricist, and he's a brilliant writer to this day. And his lyrics in that band still inspire me to this day. But they were like, they were the, you couldn't even, there were words no one knew, you know, it was like he was writing yeah. about like things that like, you, I, I, had to, I had to look up the words he was using, you know? So it was, it was so far the other direction, like yeah. no repeating parts, stuff that was always just beyond the limit of what we were actually capable of playing. Like, you know, you'd see a video back of us playing live, be like, yeah, I didn't play any of those riffs correctly you know it was always like <laughs> just just too hard for me to to really be able to do well so we were all just trying to stretch ourselves to the limit mm-hmm. but that was definitely influenced by like um early on by like the mars volta and at the drive-in and yeah. like um later on i remember i remember thrice put out visu during that 
era. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, fuck, this is the record I wanted to make. Like, and just falling in love with it because it sounded so similar to what I was trying to write at the time. Yeah. It was kind of like incorporating these weird kind of like elements and and starting to get into more atmospheric stuff and incorporating pedals again. And it's funny when that happens, like a record will come out and I'll be like, no, no, that's what I was doing. Like, oh, man. Yeah. And like why I was bummed that like thrice put it out, like I was ever going to ever get to that level, you know, but yeah. um, me being bummed about that quickly wore off because that's, you know, to this day, one of my favorite records. But yeah. Um, and then that band, The Receiving and a Sirens, I was really into that um, first record they did that had all those motifs. And I started really getting into that, which carried into Gates, um, definitely carried into Gates and we still do. But that was definitely from that band. So um, I was getting in a lot of stuff like that. The Sound of Animals Fighting and RX Bandits and um, like bands that were, again, I was really into like what bands were doing now and how I could kind of like jump off from that at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. it was I wasn't kind of digging in my back catalog as much as I'm sure I was influenced by the bands I grew up listening to. It wasn't it was mostly me trying to come up with really cool riffs and just like play as fast as we possibly could and jam as many weird words and uh, melodies into stuff as we possibly could, you know, so. Yeah, um, it was really like just shoehorn every idea kind of a thing. And then I, that band broke up and I moved to Kingston, New York to intern at a recording studio. And at that time I was getting really into post-rock stuff Mm -hmm. and kind of working on my own album. And that's when I ended up kind of messaging the Gates guys and getting involved with them. Right. They had a, they had an ad up on, uh, what was it? Absolute Punk? Like saying our band needs a singer. Yeah. They had, they had, they had like a. I think they put it up on Tumblr or something and then Absolute Punk picked it up. But yeah. that's how my best friend who sang in my, my previous two bands, he was like, hey, man, you should sing for this band. And that's how that that's basically how that ended up coming about. You had minimal experience singing before, right? You were singing Faith. Did you sing in the other band, the the prog band? I did kind of a, like backup singing, uh, like alternate. Because again, we were, try, we were we would try things where there would be two vocal lines happening at once, you know, mm-hmm. getting heavily in- influenced by the receiving of sirens. And um, so I did some of that and we kind of, we, I kind of quit doing it because I started playing guitar parts that were again, almost impossible for me to play without also singing. So yeah, I kind of quit singing um, back up as much because I started playing really in- insane guitar parts. So I honestly hadn't sung for, maybe three years. Like I, I definitely was attempting to sing over my, my solo record that I was creating that we ended up using a bunch of parts for and gate stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I had, I hadn't sent anybody anything. I was terrified to send them that part. I sent it to my, my wife who was my girlfriend at the time and was like, you know, she's the only person I sent it to. And she was like, Oh, it's really cool. It sounds like, like clarity or something. Yeah. I was like, Oh I'll send it to him then, you know, like I was like, that was like a keyword. I could totally be like, all right, if it sounds like clarity, I'm, it must be at least okay. So yeah, uh, that's, that was what kind of gave me the confidence to send it to him. And it's, it's scary because w- when I moved to New York city, I was uh, trying out for bands and trying to put bands together. And like, I, I didn't even get to 
the audition most of the time or like actually sending anybody anything because I would just get too scared and like, I don't know, bail out or I was just too messed up at the time to actually follow through. So it's, I don't know, it's a big risk. I don't handle rejection very well. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, like just off of what I said earlier, just kind of uh, have being really uh, insecure about a lot of things, you know, and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't listen to Lydia, but the, you know Ethan was in that band Lydia. That you know was a a lot of my friends really loved them, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I saw them play a show, you know, and they were playing they were playing shows that I want to play, and it was kind of this thing where it was like, well, it's on Absolute Punk, which is something my I always wanted my band to just get a post on Absolute Punk, you yeah. know, and this band didn't even have a singer, and they were already getting that, so there was a little bit of. Um, of that where I was like, all right, I'm already a little nervous because maybe this guy's kind of, he's going to be like a little bit of an asshole. Maybe he's going to be kind of like a, you know, because he's in the, he was in this like band that was kind of bigger on, I don't know. I kind of expected him to be right. Harsh on me. Yeah. You know? And he was, I mean, (laughs) Ethan, he definitely was, but didn't um, he ask you like ahead of time? Like, do you have a flying V guitar or anything? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He asked when he called me, he asked me if I had a, if I had a flying V. Yeah. Now I I understand that because it, it is a it is kind of an aggressive question and it, it's you know, it's like assuming things. But I, I put a band together a couple years ago and the wackiest people would show up. And I, I had a guy show up and he and he had a five string bass and I was like, uh, all right. And but he 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 just <laughs> somehow never learned the songs and I was in such a rush to get into the studio that I just I didn't really notice. So, you know, we'd stop, like, these are pretty simple songs, like, you know, drop D, play the root notes, post-hardcore type stuff. So we'd stop playing, and he'd be snapping and popping and doing his best Les Claypool impression. And then I'd be like, hey, could you could you play the, the D note? And then follow he, along? Yeah, and he, and he just couldn't do it. So in, in future band announcements, the band that ended up, like, disbanding or it's it's inactive but in future band posts i was going to say please no five string bass players <laughs> i see i think i think you just attributed the five string to like the less claypool playing style you know yeah. i'm not saying that those things don't go together often yeah you know like you you may be right to assume that if someone with a five string might come in and start slapping the bass but, yeah or they're um, going to come in and play like cannibal corpse riffs yeah they're, like they're, they're, <laughs> like there's a higher likelihood that um, it might go wrong. I, I recorded a band called Actor Observer and their bass player had a five string and he was awesome. And that band is amazing. So um, I guess he he's an outlier in the in the five string graph, I guess. Wait, does Gates have a five string ba- bass player or am I imagining that? No, we do not. M- Mike plays a, a grabber most of the time and he plays a P bass. Um, he played a P bass a lot on Parallel Lives because I wanted it. I wanted it to sound I wanted the P. I always want to record the P bass, um, but oftentimes he just plays the grabber because it sounds dope too. So it's like splitting hairs. The P bass is good. I had one of those. So yeah, I listened to the the first podcast with you know the making of that album. So you sent them a demo, right? And then they wanted to meet with you, Gates. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I I basically, um, I mean, you're kind, you're you, you know to off of what you said earlier you're kind of right you you know if i showed up with like horrible gear and you you would get a you'd probably get a good um example of what you wanted from 
my gear you know i guess you know what i mean like if i had a if i had like a jackson flying v i'm probably not gonna be the right guy for the band right so <laughs> exactly um they didn't want me to drive all the way down there and then have to have this awkward conversation with me i'm gonna go ahead and say this presentation is important to me i want it to sound good and i want it to look a certain way i've always kind of been into like fashion a little bit and i'm really into the aesthetics and the presentation so if i'm putting together an, a, a band and a guy shows up with a six string bass wearing shorts and like high top sneakers you know like I, I might not be into that and that's just me keith you probably wouldn't let me in your band if i should <laughs> for sure i would show up in like mesh shorts and a t-shirt and be like yo i'm got flip-flops and shit on i would just pull you aside before the show and say like look could you wear pants could you wear jeans and a black t-shirt and yeah. just fucking, can you just mute everything else that you do normally? <laughs> That's definitely an unspoken thing where you're like, oh, wow, everyone just came to the show wearing jeans. This is going to work out. Yes. You know, like. <laughs> yes. And it's yeah. so awkward to have those conversations. So if it just works out, like that's that's the easiest way. That's in it's the only way because no like I don't think that anyone in my band would have had that conversation necessarily. You know what I mean? It's just like, nah, like. We'll we'll just be done. You know, that's kind of <laughs> how it was. They like cycled through like a lot of bands before we landed on on Gates, you know? So it was like Yeah. It just it was just it was just it was a it was a match made in heaven or something. I don't know. It's just like a really weird it was it was bizarre. I mean, I felt like I knew those guys forever. Yeah. You know, the day I met them. And it, it, it's not to say there wasn't extreme growing pains right. with creating the music after that point because Again, I was really opinionated and I always thought that I was my way was correct and you know, for the first for the for the second EP especially, I was very much like trying to kind of do my own thing because I didn't want to have to write these really complex songs anymore. I was kind of over that, yeah. you know. So um, you know, that part of it was was difficult, but as far as like getting feeling like we knew each other and we were best friends right off the bat. I mean, it was just like we were talking about earlier. I mean, on the car ride down, I remember talking about all these bands and just being like, you know, they'd be like, yo, what kind of guitarist are you into? And I remember I was like really into Cody from a city's burn mm -hmm. and they had just put out their last like record. And we were just talking about how good it was. And they were like, yo, put that on, you know? And, and then they'd be like, have you ever heard this band? I can't, again these guys told told me about so many bands i'd never even come close to hearing about you know like so that became a really really fast learning process of like minus the bear huh yeah i never really listened to this band you know like <laughs> like stuff i probably should have come across but um you know it was a it was a mashup of like i like this thing they like this thing you know this guy likes this thing and it was very quickly just like tossing ideas around and but it still felt like we had just it almost felt like I had grown up with those guys, you know. They felt like they, um, they brought me in with open arms, and I just felt like I belonged in that band pretty quickly. And without knowing your story, I figured that was the case. It just seemed like you guys all kind of grew up together. Yeah, it's pretty odd because you know people always ask where we're from, but I'm from Michigan. Ethan's from Nebraska, so it's kind of a weird. We're like not from New Jersey. All of us aren't from New Jersey, you know. So that kind of brought an interesting element to the band I always thought it was you know Ethan clearly grew up listening to a lot of American football and like a lot more of like the kind of true Midwest emo stuff yeah mm -hmm. 
um, as well as a lot of great alternative rock bands. But he also has a very particular, you know, taste in like 90s alternative rock. That was stuff that was, you know, although he introduced me to like Nine Inch Nails, like there was also like a lot more pop leaning stuff that I never really got into. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he brings that and his style to the table. And I think having him and myself having grown up in just diff- completely different scenes especially when we started playing in New Jersey. I think a lot of the people in New Jersey in that scene had just kind of been interchanging in bands with each other for so long that when we showed up, it was kind of like it sounded different because we were, we weren't from there and no one had heard us do our thing yet, you know? So it was surprising and interesting to people. And I think that helped us early on kind of gain, uh, you know, traction with a lot of the bands that we played with that would ultimately end up getting us shows and, and becoming our friends so yeah when when you have a lot of different tastes and you put them together in one band some you know sometimes it can end up being a disaster but in this case it sounded like it really worked for everybody yeah i don't think they were i don't think they were far enough away that it would have been right you know a complete shit show yeah. like if you're listening to like primus and cannibal corpse and mineral like if you put those together that's probably not bad mouth i cannibal corpse is awesome Hey, I didn't say they were bad. I'm just <laughs> oh, saying... Oh, it's the three of those comedy. Yeah, okay, I got yeah. you. All right. It could be dope. I don't know, man. I'd like to hear that. I frequently send uh, Keith like stuff. I'm like, yo, check out this band. And it's like super heavy stuff. And he's just like, ugh. <laughs> he's, like, what are you... he's like, very new metal. Get rid of that. There's a there's an acceptable level of new metal, right? There, there <laughs> It has to be just the right amount. And um, to- the band's... Some of the heavier bands Tommy likes, they just smash that that scale. Like they're way, way over. It's just they're like, way on the corn barometer. They they definitely they are high on that end sometimes. Like they they all play like they all have eight string guitars. Let's put it that way. We read the uh, we read the whole corn fieldy has like an autobiography. Oh yeah, and we like Mike, our bass player, read that aloud in the van on one of the, on the, <laughs> the pianos become the teeth tour, and then. We're like, you guys got to read it. And then we gave them the book and it just like made its rounds around the tour because it was so like hilarious and bad. Um, (laughs) He has like one of the most outlandish. I remember seeing like videos of them playing. I'm like, is he actually playing the bass? Like he had it like near his ankles. I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this? And he's just kind of bashing the shit out of it. Like that he actually describes how he came up with that sound in the book. And it's fascinating because he basically is like, you know, Ross Robinson recorded their first record they go in there and he's like, you know, Fieldy is saying this, he's recounting this and he's like, I went in there and they had a perfect bass tone set up and they had a, it all ready to go with all the mics in front and I just went and I turned all the knobs all the way up to 10 and I just started hitting the bass <laughs> and, and I was like, this is my sound and I can just imagine being the engineer and being like, oh, fuck. Uh, like... <laughs> Like holy shit, man! Ever all right? Get the DSer out, guys! Like this is gonna be a fucking nightmare. Like, and he was so proud of it, you know. And then we started looking up YouTube videos of him, and he's just like got a signature bass, and oh, yeah. all he's talking about is like how the fretboard is painted white. He's just like, yeah, the the fretboard, it's like it's painted white. So like, yeah, he he has no clue about the sound, the pickups, none of that shit. It's just like it looks fucking cool, right, guys? Isn't just, it funny how much care and like everything we put into the presentation and making it all sound perfect and all that. And then, and then the guys like Fieldy can just come in and be like, no, I'm just fucking like doing this. And then like, it ends up being huge. 
That was definitely that era for sure. <laughs> like that, I think they said their first tour was in an RV and they like two shows in and they were opening for Deftones. Okay. And two oh, yeah. shows in, they were like, we're going to disband unless you get us two tour buses to like the label. I'm like, yo, you, fucking <laughs> wow, man, I would love to see you do like one day of the first tour I went on. <laughs> like, let, let's see you do it, man. Like just hilarious stuff, you know, but. That's a good book if you ever if you're interested and you and you do want to lean a little into the new metal. I know. remember seeing it was in uh this was years ago in Barnes and Noble. I remember seeing how did we get on corn? Fuck, man. This is my fault. Oh, I'm all uh, about it. I'm all about it. I'm so, going to talk about Linkin no, Park too. So, I don't remember which guitar player. It's either Head or Monkey. I know that sounds insane, but <laughs> one of them like completely uh it became like a born again Christian and left the band and he wrote a book and i remember seeing the book like in like the christian lifestyle section of barnes and noble and i was like is that the guy from corn like yeah. and he he hasn't dropped the aesthetic is completely still fucking adidas tracksuit yeah the the goofy braids and everything like fucking exactly like that but he's like talks about jesus i was yeah. like i think he was a, 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 a drug guy and then he became a yeah, born again Oh, he died. I mean, they all were, they were crazy because uh, Fieldy actually did the same thing. He, we, we didn't read the last chapter, which is he's, he like became a born again Christian. And we just were like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I think we're good on the last, like nothing funny is going to happen in the last chapter. Right. But like the stories they're telling, you're like, no wonder these guys, I mean, like, holy shit. I can't imagine just having like millions of dollars plopped them into my lap. And then like, you know, just doing the things that they did. They were, they were completely inexcusable. Like the behavior that these guys had, I mean, like, you know, like I'm not the, the, the moral, you know, compass for anybody, I guess. But like, I'm also just like, Holy, like, dude, I just felt scummy. Like even reading like one sentence of that book, you know, like <laughs> that I would, I would have to spend the rest of my life. Like, like looking to the sky, hoping someone could forgive me for these horrible acts that I committed, you know, including defacing the earth with my music. So, oh my god, I just bought the book on Amazon just now. I literally just went on and bought it. It, it was fucking ninety nine cents. How could you pass that up? Fuck, man, Wait, you're gonna you're, love it. You're shopping while we're recording this well, soon to be was... classic podcast. <laughs> I've looked the fuck. I... I did it. it. I just. It takes two seconds. You just. You just have to go on Amazon and type the word "fieldy" in. That's it. It's fucking. <laughs> it's the first thing that comes up. It's a one-click buy. I mean, you gotta yeah, do dude. it. My wife is gonna be like, "What the fuck are you buying? Like, what did you buy? <laughs> Who is this?" And be like, "Ugh." So, so we're we're driving down to the very first meeting with Gates, right now. You must be extremely nervous. Uh, you know what? Honestly. At that point, I had been living in complete isolation in Kingston, New York. I was working at a recording studio up there, and I had nobody to talk to except for the the head engineer there and the one assistant. And mm -hmm. they treated me like shit. I mean, honestly, the dude was uh, the head engineer there was uh, he was nicer to me than he probably could have been. But the the studio itself was. It was Levon Helm Studio, so it was, it was Levon Helm from the band. It was his house, mm -hmm. and he had a studio there. Now Levon Helm was the coolest, nicest guy. He was so cool. He, you know, everything you'd ever want him to be, he was. But the people that surround, kind of surrounded him and ran the studio, they some of them just had some really weird ideas, and like, you know, they they had catered catered dinners every saturday for like the band and all the crew, and then they oh, they made me eat pizza in the corner. 
Oh, really? Oh. Just me. That's fucked up. Just for, just for anybody that doesn't, I had to look him up real fast. So Levon Helm is the dude from the band. Correct. So he's the drummer from the band. And mm-hmm. I, I, that, that really, I, that's insane. That's yeah. one of those things where it's kind of like, look, I understand, but at the same time, you're like, you really kind of shrug your shoulders at stuff like that. It's like, is this a power move? Like, what is this? Like, yeah, I, I want to make it absolutely clear that Levon himself and the entire band had nothing yeah. to do with this. It was like the managers that ran that place. Yeah, um, fair enough. He was the sweetest guy. And honestly, everyone in that band were legends. And they were so cool and taught me so much. I mean, they taught me what a good amp was. Like, they let me hold their $60,000 guitars, you know? Like, oh, they, were, they were great, you know? And I learned more at that internship than um i learned since you know it was a it was an absolute amazing opportunity for me and i learned so much also about the band and all the guys that played with the band all the bands that came through there all the people that came through that wanted to be involved in that and you know levon was was recovering and um from cancer at the time and he you know was putting on these shows as a benefit to that it, the problem was a lot of people came out of the woodwork to latch onto that. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't have been there. You know, they weren't doing it for the love of the music. And those were the people that decided for some reason, because I was the intern, I was eating pizza when they could have just ordered one more serving of chicken or whatever, you know, like, yeah. and just make me feel really weird and isolated. And so I think it was things like that. And the fact that I went like home and lived in a studio apartment by myself, I was having a long distance relationship with my girlfriend like everything felt really isolated and weird. And, you know, I really started searching out bands to make friends. And so I was just excited to talk to people. Yeah. Which seems it's weird for me to say that because a lot of times I'm fine with it. But I th- I'm sure people can, especially introverts, can relate now in the time of the pandemic where, you know, you if you sit at home by yourself long enough, you long to talk to people, you know, you yes. long to, to talk to your friends again. I mean, I miss hanging out with the dudes and Gates more than anything in the world right now, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it was one of those situations where I was just stoked to be like talking to people that like the same kind of music as me. That was a really, that probably helped me a lot, um, get over that kind of social anxiety problem that I have a lot where I f- would have felt a little nervous or that I wasn't good enough. And, Honestly, I didn't really have much material besides the the stuff that I came up with for the one song. Right. So I was mostly sitting there just listening to them play me stuff that they had written the first day, you know? So I didn't really have to do anything. I don't have to prove myself until the next couple times. That's when I started to get nervous that maybe they were auditioning other people or right, right. so I started kind of being like, "Hey guys, like Am I in the band? I need to know if I'm in the band. Like, I really need to know if I'm, you know. Like, um, what is this? What are we yeah. doing? <laughs> Which, you know, looking back again, like, everything was so dramatic. But, um, you know, of course, Mike, the bass player, is just like, yeah, there's there's nobody else. <laughs> you know, so we just started recording pretty soon after that. It was it was pretty, like, seamless. And then, you know, I learned just learned all these awesome things at, at Levon Helm Studios. And so now we're recording in my apartment. You know, and and in the basement in New Brunswick, and just uh, on my eight channel uh, Digi Design OO2, which is like a, it was pretty great at the time, but mm-hmm. I think by the time I got it there, it was falling apart a little bit because I had it for three or four years, and um, it only has like four mic pre's, and it was it was pretty hard to kind of 
make a record on that stuff, you know, yeah. but, but we pulled it off. I'm still happy with it. I still listen to it and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it sounds like that. Oh yeah. We, we still listen to it a lot now at, you know, when you guys first played together, like walls, you know, that was like almost a throwaway song at the time. Like you were like, you know, someone was like, well, we have this other song walls, I guess we'll play. Cause you only had two before that. Right. Um, yeah, they had, they had, a Vague Ambition and Burn Us Alive mm-hmm. were the two songs that they played me. And then, uh, you know, they played me those two songs. They're like, yep, that's it. And I was like, all right, well. And they both, both those songs, they kind of sounded similar to me. You yeah. know, I remember it, turning on my producer hat and being like, and also kind of being like, are these guys all one note? I mean, is this everything sound like this? You know, like I I wanted there to be variety. I remember kind of being like, um, you know, I wanted to play piano and. You know, I was really, I really loved this band called Anathalo and they had all these like auxiliary percussion instruments and I wanted to like play what we now call the emotion tom, you know, yeah. like the uh, one guy on stage playing a tom, you know. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to do stuff like that, you know, and I wanted to, I wanted to be all like weird and eclectic. And so I was just looking for any, anything else they had to maybe indicate that they were kind of doing other stuff. And they played in the morning and um, walls, which, indicated to me that they had a kind of a broader palette because in the morning was a little more exploratory and kind of like um dark mm-hmm. and weird sounding and then walls was more upbeat yeah so and i remember them playing walls walls specifically and being like um that's going to be the song off the cp you know that's going to be the yeah. one that we're going to be playing at every show for the next 5 years and i, I hope you continue to to do that because I I got into you. I listened to the second EP, which was uh, "You Are All of You." You are all you have left to fear, and then I got into the LP right after that, "Bloom and Breathe." I didn't even know the first EP existed. This was back when I was still fucking with like CDs and and like downloading music and stuff. So then I get on Spotify and I see, holy shit, they have a whole other EP, the first EP that I've never even heard. So I, I fired up and walls just instantly seized me and this is a song that tommy and i like rave about continually to this day but just yeah just obsessed with it like from the first time we heard it and i was like oh my god like how how did i not know this existed and that i discovered that song in a time in my life that was just perfect which i'll get into a little more later and just the lyrics to that song has kind of become like the story of my life time and time again like where i just need to like let down the walls and you know let things happen and let people in and like just stop fighting so much so you know thanks for writing it (laughs) thanks for listening i mean i i definitely uh i love when that happens when i realize a band has material that i have yet to dive into yes you know i i think one for me the the prime example that would be radiohead where i got into them in college and I decided that I was only going to listen to like one record every three years or so, you know, yeah. until I was basically like, all right, I've, I've listened to this like to death because they had a decent amount of material, you know, at that time, even they were like in rainbows was just coming out. Right. Um, so I've been kind of systematically listening to that band. And like, I, I haven't even really listened to hail, hail to the thief like at all. So like, oh, wow. that's a record that's like, I'm waiting for the moment to like, unbox that you know because the band is so important to me and i love them so much and they you know they 
time and time again, I put that on and I just find their records to be, um, you know, similar to what you were saying. I just, I just relate to them. So emphatically, you know, so I think to have stuff from them, knowing that they're continuing to make music, but also like there's records in their back catalog. I haven't quite dived into yet is, is kind of nice to know. That's amazing. Um, So you haven't heard hail to the thief yet. I I think I listened to it one time and I was like, no, I can't, I can't dive into this yet. (laughs) Um, I'm on I'm on Amnesiac right now. That one now, yeah. I st- Hail to the Thief is actually the last Radiohead album I've heard, but I just I just kind of stopped listening to them. You know, not not that I necessarily dislike them or anything. It's just you know you just you just kind of get over bands sometimes. Yeah, it ha- happens all the time. But Hail to the Thief has this one amazing song. I can't remember the title, but he says like I'm up in the clouds and I can't come down. That's the track, man. I still remember that one. All right, when I come across it, yeah, I'll know. Remember that track yeah. and Amnesiac, Knives Out. I mean, come on, that's that's a classic. Yeah, yeah, that was a track that got me into like, all right, I'll start listening to this record. I'm gonna put Kid A down finally, and <laughs> um, that and Ethan always plays. I might be wrong on guitar, and but dude, Pyramid Song has to be one of my favorite Radiohead songs. That loop that ends it too is like. I don't even know. What is that sound, man? I love that. I love that they make sounds and I don't know how they did it, you know? Uh, it's, re- it's really, really amazing. They they encompass a lot of just what I love about music in general. So, I, you know, I know it's a total, like, band guy, like, you know, like, college dude band <laughs> to get into. But, hundred um, percent. you know, every everyone that plays our kind of music, like, loves that band. You can't not. You yeah, know? and they're one of those rare bands that can keep growing and keep changing and like still be relevant and just kind of call their own shots and that's cool because not a lot of bands get to do that yeah i mean i loved their last record and i actually saw them live uh two summers ago i started um getting really into seeing like doing bucket list bands because luckily because of what i do and my wife works for a record label and she was a publicist before that and um you know, we get to go to a lot of shows for free, but then we would miss out on a lot of our favorite bands would come into town. Like I still have not seen Death Cab live, which is insane to me. And um, I've had tickets like three times and never get to go. Um, but, you know, I, I finally was like, I need to see Radiohead. Um, you know, I had a health scare a couple of years ago. and I was like, this is I need to go start just doing this, you know, and uh, my buddy. Uh, does their merch and he hooked us up and I was like second row for Radiohead. Um, and wow. it was incredible, you know, and l- they played a lot of stuff off their new record. So I'm really happy that I'm still up, up to date on them and really enjoyed their new record. Cause you know, they played almost that entire album and then a, a handful of other songs. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really love their new record. I mean, there's songs on there are just, they're amazing. So it was really cool to hear that and see that live and they were fucking incredible, you know? So going back to what we were talking about earlier with just like, you know, myself being negative and just not listening to things. Kid A came out and it, it was like a sensation. Like people would not stop talking about it. So I was like, fuck this. I'm not listening to it. And it took me like, I don't know, three or four years to finally listen to it. And of course, when I did, I really liked it. I see my thing with Kid A was uh, I, there was a video store when I was in college that went out of business and they were selling all their stuff for like super cheap. And I bought a copy of um, Vanilla Sky. Yeah. And they use uh, everything in its right place. 
And for some reason, just that part of the movie and that song, I remember my friend Chris Riley and I were sitting there and we both kind of looked at each other like, what the fuck is this, dude? We got to find this like immediately. And I worked at the radio station. So I like <laughs> literally got on my bike and rode down to the radio station. I'm like, uh, do you have the Vanilla Sky soundtrack? They're like, uh, probably you can start <laughs> looking. And I remember like pawing through it being like, all right, I got it. Hold on a second. I'm going to go just rip this real fast. I'll be right back. <laughs> they were like, I was just obsessed with that for so long. We learned, like, Riley and I learned how to play it on a uh, keyboard and everything. Like we were oh, fucking wow. nuts. Of, oh yeah. We went nuts with it, dude. I definitely looked up how to, how to make that sound. Um, because it sounds like a Rhodes piano at first, but it's totally, it's synthesized, you know? Yeah. And as the song goes on, you hear them open the filter up and it kind of like, you know, you're like, oh shit, it's a synth, you know? Um, I've definitely sat for many hours trying to recreate that sound of that song, but I told it was, it was the same shit, man. So the guy who showed me Radiohead in college showed me the national anthem off of, um, kid a, and then he showed me, I think paranoid Android. And of course I was like national anthems like a bunch of horns blaring jazz over this like bass line and paranoid android is like a prog rock song so i was like oh yeah i'm gonna get okay computer yeah and then i was obsessed with that record and and was kind of like well i didn't really like that other song so i'm just gonna stick with this and i think that's how i kind of ended up having that idea to just kind of wait on it and i'm glad i did because you know i think if i would have tried to listen to kid a then it would have been way too minimalistic for me. Whereas now it's fucking perfect, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of want to adopt your philosophy on music, though, because I, I, I don't know, Keith, if you can relate to it, but I rip through music so fast. Oh, like, yeah. I, 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 I have to really start being more careful when I listen to things because uh, it, the fact of spending even a month on a record to me would be like, that's I, after the, the third day, I'd be like, okay, I need something else. Like, um, I got to be more careful with stuff like that and just being a little bit more trying to be more aware of what's going on. I think a part of it is because you have such a underlying knowledge of how things are recorded. Um, but I, I never even think about sound. I was just okay with it being like, yeah, just put it on the piano setting and kind of, yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, dude, that's a blessing. Honestly, sometimes I <laughs> wish I could do what you're, you're describing, you know, like I, I'm a dissector. I like get something I like and then I, I obsess over it and listen to it 10,000 times and try to figure out how everything was done. And I think that's how I became a producer and became, you know, good at producing records was trying to reverse engineer shit that I loved, you know, yeah, how did awesome. they come up that's with that really sound? Cool. How did they, how is that like, you know, why does that sound good? How is that mixed? You know, playing my songs against my favorite it, you know, it's a common practice to kind of put up this, the the goal mix of something you really love, and then you think you got your mix good, and you switch over to that other song, and you're like, "God damn it, it sounds fucking amazing!" Like, well, how'd they do that? You know, and I'll, I'm sure I'll never achieve um, that lofty goal of like, "Wow, I'm gonna make this sound like Pyramid Song or whatever," you know. But um, I think that that mentality is what kind of made me want to do what I do and kind of made me get into the kind of music that I'm in and creating the music that I, I create now because I have a really hard time and I, I've been trying to lately and I would love to spend less time working on stuff, but I have a really hard time not spending way too long making music because it just, I have to pour over every detail just like when I listen to it, you know? Yeah. 
And you want that you want that quality in an engineer. Like me, I'm like, yeah. here's the idea, make it sound like this. I'm the idea person. But like you need someone like you who will labor over it and like find that perfect sound. <laughs> it's like do you ever see you ever hear that Bill Burr bit where he's like, I don't understand why Steve Jobs is so great? <laughs> like and his whole thing is like Steve Jobs would just walk into a room with a bunch of like scientists and be like, I want my whole music collection on a phone. Do it now! Like he's like, why is this guy a genius? He walks up on stage. He just fucking tells people what to do. <laughs> I mean, those, he's he's a genius because he he his he got the job of just telling people what to do and getting all the credit for it. Yeah, oh yeah. You know that that's like that's the American dream right there is like to have a job where you do nothing but tell people what to do and get all the credit. That's like that's why that's he's, what, he's a revered yeah. genius. You know, thousands of nameless, faceless engineers and programmers work their entire lives to make this thing happen and that dummy gets up on stage with a fucking turtleneck and no belt and he's like hey fucking look at the iphone it's like fuck man like, jesus christ and no <laughs> belt i'm glad someone else noticed that too <laughs> like my uncle worked for a like car company and you know they anything that he came up with invention wise while he worked there they just automatically get the patent for it. it's like in oh, the yeah. contract yeah. yeah and they'll give you like a bonus they'll be they'll give you like five hundred dollars and then it's in every car yeah you know so it's like dude that's so fucked up like he invented shit that's in every single car and they give him 500 bucks and send him on his way like yeah it's a that, weird thing so i i as a part-time job, um, I write math curriculum for different schools and uh, and, a, and a company that has like all these online uh, tests you can make. So I write questions for them, but like the contract I signed basically says like anything I write immediately becomes their intellectual property. So like they're like, I was like, well, how does that work? I was like, can I use these in my classroom? And they, the first thing she was like, she didn't even hesitate. She was like, absolutely not. <laughs> It's like, but it's it's a word problem. <laughs> can I, fucking, can right. I change it? Can I change the name? Like instead of Julie, can it be Kevin? I don't. Fu-. And he was like, she was like, absolutely not. She's like, this. She's like, you are writing for us. And I was like, oh, how are they gonna know though? Oh, they won't. Like, yeah. I mean, no one would. Like, they're gonna send us, you know, a spy into my sixth grade math class to fucking find out that if I'm using their problems. Imagine there's like a 42 year old man in the back, like, <laughs> like some guy comes minute. in a suit and tie. Here's your new student, and be like, uh, all right, something's not right here. Oh yeah, Kevin, we have a silent clause that anything you say on the podcast becomes ours. So Happy, you're more than welcome we, to it. We we own the band now, and we will be using your voice sampled in our uh, lo-fi hip hop project. I, oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah, no, I I wish I had one, but that's all a lie. So I'm I'm segueing back to Gates now. Um, so fine. <laughs> okay, so I discovered Gates. I think around 2015. The first now. I was like, I need some new bands. I need some like new emo type bands. I need a new band to listen to. So I Googled like all the big name emo bands at the time. And I didn't like a single one of them. Except Gates. Now Gates, I had heard that band name a couple times and it was perfect. It's like, it's like post rock with vocals. Like that's right up my alley. Tommy and I are like huge post rock fans. So the first album I heard was... uh the EP you are all have, you are all you have left to fear and you know i was i think the first song i really got grabbed by was uh to those who fell and to those who carry on that one two punch now 
I experienced loss early in my life. My older brother died. He was diabetic. So, of course, I, I just connected to this song in, like, a crazy instant way. And I think it's one of the best songs lyrically and musically ever, just, like, in terms of loss. Just, I felt a crazy connection to it. So, one, thank you for writing that, because the one-two punch of that is just incredible. And two... What is that song about? Is it is it someone you guys knew? Yeah, so first of all, I'm sorry that, you know, I'm sorry you have to relate to this song. I was, yes. um, you know, it. it's always unfortunate that we share, you know, these these horrible experiences that um, these, these things end up being cathartic for, you know. But, um, yeah, that song was about um, my my wife she had a friend who um passed away he was you know i don't know goofing around with his cousin's gun and it accidentally went off um and it i was at um the guy's house and we were recording demo vocals for this for you are all you have left to fear i think mm-hmm. or we were trying to record the actual vocals because we did them at my apartment originally but then i don't know i don't know what we were doing but you know my wife called me and you know t- was was obviously like hysterical and um i was like i gotta go you know and i just up and left yeah and i you know honestly it, i'm I'm really lucky in that I I haven't experienced a ton of that type of loss in my life at least up to that point and that was really shocking for me. You know, it mm-hmm. was um like wow, I was hanging out with that guy like a month ago. Yeah. You know, and he's gone and I think about all the things that we did together and you know, it was it was really really just um like earth-shattering for me and yes. I was just kind of looking for a way to just, you know, talk myself through it, which is what writing just is for me, you know? And, um, I wrote that song stream of conscious, just, uh, I just wrote, wrote it out like that. And I made it work with the song. Like, like lyrically, I didn't have any, um, like melody ideas or anything for that song yet. That was like a kitchen sink song where, you know, every, we had the amount of riffs that that went through mm-hmm. and we did it. We did a podcast where we kind of dissect that a lot of the the songs off that mm-hmm. record. And we kind of go into the detail of the, um, of the music of it, but I didn't really talk about the lyrics of it. Cause it's obviously a difficult, um, subject matter. And a lot of my lyrics, I like to leave them up to the interpretation, but but that one is very i mean it's very obvious yes that's about a very specific event because yes. it was it was straight up just written like um straight out of my head as if it was a diary entry you know and uh there was just something about it i mean a lot of times i fin when i finish writing a song lyrically um i just start crying mm-hmm. and i i kind of just know it's done and i it's like that's like a horrible i guess it's such a horrible like thing to kind of think about but um 
and not not to get just like complete obviously get completely like like heavy as hell here but oh um, no we we do that a lot so uh yeah, feel free is, yeah <laughs> yeah you know like a couple years ago i ended up having cancer and um that kind of changed my entire perspective on life and it was it wasn't actually the surgery or the cancer like uh, recovering from that that like was hard it was my point of view on like life just completely changed Mm -hmm. so that was like that tragic thing that just kind of never really happened to me that like all of a sudden i'm like this is what everyone's walking around with like what was i even talking about before like this is like the things that i was complaining about before just like pale in comparison to this and like it was so hard for me to accept um that and a lot of things except so many things you know and um luckily i ended up doing a lot of like therapy and a lot of i had i had like a life coach for a while and mm-hmm. um they helped me change my perspective on a lot of this stuff but um you know i think still to this day the way that they told me to deal with this stuff is like you know what if if you're feeling like you need to cry just do it you know, and there's so many times, I mean, there's so many times where I just start, I just lose it, you know, because, yeah, um, you just, you're just over, overcome with emotion and overwhelmed and it, it feels so good to just let it out and be like, all right, well, let's just go on with my day. Cause there's yeah. just these heavy feelings that I can't ever get rid of now that I just kind of have to mediate and, and like learn how to deal with. So I think that was one of those moments early on before it was kind of something that I just kind of learned. I, I'd have to deal with for the rest of my life. You know, at that point it was just a single tragic event and, you know, to be able to like write that song and just kind of just, you know, have that emotional breakdown and kind of brings, brings a little bit of closure to that immediate shock, you know, and. Yeah, there's definitely like a, I always think about this. I try to I always try to put this line into a uh, into a song for a while, but it's from um the Kurt Vonnegut book, uh Cat's Cradle, but there's like this little poem in there. It's like something like Tiger's gotta hunt, birds gotta fly, man's gotta sit and wonder why, why, why. Yes. And I feel like I just sit around and I just wonder why so often. I mean, even like today when you, you know, you get up and you read the news, you're like, why does shit have to be this way? Yes. You know, and um, there's no <laughs> real answer to it. You can't, you're not going to come up with the answer to that. But I think like to try to reason with yourself a little bit, I guess it helps at least a little bit, you know, and that was definitely, it was, it was an absolute um, shocking, senseless thing. It was this crazy accident and, you know, you, you wish you could just go back and make it not happen you know but um i think the biggest lesson i ever learned in my life is that you can't go back to the way it was you have to take the things that happen to you as learning experiences and apply them to your life moving forward because there's no way to go back to um the before time it doesn't exist you know so exactly um to try to kind of move on with that and i think the song you know in a way 
it's a it's his memory that I get to kind of have with me, you know, a little bit, and yeah. it's also a lot for my wife because they were really close, and you know, I think that it was a lot of me looking at her being really upset too, and kind of trying to like reason with that, and but you know, it's just something that it's a moment in time, kind of immortalized in a song, and yeah, I, I it does it does disappoint me and and upset me that. Um, people relate to that song, but like, you know, as I say a lot in my records, you know, we all die. So I definitely, you know, like that's going to happen. People are going to relate to this, this stuff and this shit's going to happen. And like, to be able to have something, I guess, to, to comfort you and get you through the times as, as it did for me, you know, I find that that's typically the discussion, the discussion I'm having with people. And that makes me feel honored. You know, it makes me feel that I did something really good for someone that maybe I don't even know. Exactly. And that's that's what I was going to say because, you know, death is going to happen to all of us at some point. And those, you know, it can be shocking and jarring. And it's definitely shaped my life in the form of, of losing my brother at a young age. Tommy lost his father at a very young age. So to to find to find the words, like in this song, to just so perfectly capture the way you're feeling like it's a gift it's it's just so helpful well you know i'm I'm glad that that that's the case honestly it's it's so it's so hard to, to write something like that and then to sing it over and over again oh god uh, yeah i saw you guys say like it's just too emotionally taxing to play so you, it's it's a once in a while thing like if you know if the energy is right which i totally understand and i totally understand because i can't even like I can't even listen to it most of the time. Like it's a, yeah. you know it's same with me. It's like a time and place thing. I got to be in the right headspace to hear that. And yeah. actually, I I I was gonna say Keith and I have discussed this before, but we we use that song as like a kind of a touchstone of like this is a time when I realized like I needed to slow down. I needed to kind of like take stock of what I have and recognizing the things that are holding me back and what it's really come to with me is like, I, I realized that the things that are largely holding me back is, is me. It's my behavior. It's, it's the mistakes I continually make. Like it, I always think of, uh, I, I read a book a while ago and there was a quote in it about like, you can either play your life like a video game where you either learn from your mistakes and move forward, or you keep getting defeated by the same boss. And it's like, fuck man, I, it, 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 after the 15th time you've made the exact same mistake or done the exact same thing that ends up in something that's, you know, not pleasurable or something that's, you know, causing harm to the people around you. And you're just like, fuck, man, like, what? Is, why do I keep making these same? They're rudimentary things like it's it, they're simplistic. Don't do this. Do more of this. And yet we trick ourselves every single time. I don't know if it's, it's human nature or like uh, just certain people in general, you know to to repeat those things you know because i'm the same way and i would say that what you said is 100 percent accurate i think i spent a lot of my my life blaming other people for like shortcomings in my own life only to realize later that it's like i gotta get up every day and like put my nose to the grindstone and get stuff done or else like things don't happen for me you know it's that it's completely my own doing and even if it's not there's always something I can change, including the way I intake uh, criticism or shortcomings or, you know, like the music industry is a place where 
you can do everything right and nothing can happen, yeah. you know? So it's really hard to take that, especially as someone who's a sensitive person who's always like, you know, what did I do wrong? Um, sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. And just learning that in and of itself is enough to be like, all right, well, let's make another record. Let's go, let's move on. Let's make another song. Yep. Let me start another band, whatever, you know, like, um, and just do, do more and not sit around and be so, um, obsessed with how things went in the past. You know? Acceptance is, uh, acceptance is a really hard piece. You know, there's been so many times over the past couple of years where I'm like, this is exact, this is what my life is going to be. This is what I'm going to be doing. And, when it didn't work out that way at all, it it was just really hard to stomach, but I've gotten better at it. One of the things I keep going back to, remember you guys were talking about like, you know, kind of being introverted and kind of like dealing less with people and being like overthinking things because you're like, oh my God, I said that wrong. Or you, you dissect things in, in terms of conversation or, or motives behind people's actions. Uh, my my one daughter, like the twins are named Evelyn and Eleanor, and Eleanor is named Eleanor because um, right before she was born, I was reading a book that Eleanor Roosevelt read, and it was called If You Ask Me, and there was a quote in it, and I actually wrote it down because I was it was one of those things that I'm like, I don't know when this is going to be useful, but it's actually really useful, and uh, I tell my kids this all the time now. You shouldn't worry so much about your, you, I'm sorry, you wouldn't worry so much about what other people think if you realized how seldom they actually think of you. Like, it, it's, it's negative in the fact that it's, you're not the focus of other people's lives, but we tend to say like, oh my God, I said this or I did that. And, and you go over it and over it and replay it. And you try to think of like, oh, what I could have said in that moment or what I should have said in that moment. And what you ultimately realize is like, you're fighting yourself. You know, you're, you're, uh, you know, uh, the French have this thing called, uh, l'esprit le d'escalier. It's like the spirit of the staircase. It's like when you're leaving a party and somebody insulted you and on the way out, you're like, fuck, that's what I should have said. Like it comes to you. Like I, I've been in like moments of like, you know, contemplation of like, just like, you know, taking a shower or something like that. And it, you're replaying arguments I had with people three, four, five years ago and going, damn, that's what I should have said. And I catch myself in, myself in those moments now and go, what the fuck are you doing? It's always in the shower, too. Like, I'm always in the shower and I'm like, oh, man, 10 years ago, if I would have said this to that dude, I'd be like, king shit. <laughs> i'm the worst on i'm the worst on runs i i go like when i go running and i'm out there and it's like i'm listening to music and i should be really just focusing on how i'm running what my breath is like you know getting energy from the song whatever it is and in my head i'm going like do you remember that time that dude bumped into you and then like this that and this and i'm like fuck man like what a what a dumb thought to enter my brain right now <laughs> i shouldn't be focused on this stuff but Yet I, you continually go back to it, and it's it's one of those things that um, as I get older, uh, I realize like my daughters don't listen to a shit ton of stuff I say, but they watch everything I do. Did you ever think that maybe it's because you say too much? <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be that. No, everything you're saying is I, I think is really, really true. You know, like I just I, I relate to everything that you you said. You know, I think it's, I think, I think it might be, again, I don't know for a fact, but, you know, I ponder often if it's an evolutionary trait to um, 
have these thoughts when you're like idle, you know, because you're trying to learn for the next time. But it's for some reason hard for us to differentiate. I'm learning for the next time versus like I need to be like stuck on this thing that already happened. You know, so that's like the part that's so hard to break away from to be like, like the email thing is a great example of like, hmm, you know, then the last time this conversation happened, I said something and it didn't go great. Why don't you know, like, I'm going to change it this time and see if it's any different. Like, that would be like the the norm, the, the really like great way to go about, you know, the healthy way to 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 do that. And then most of the time you're like, I'm just going to say the same fucking shit and be pissed off that this person you know and it's like that's my biggest struggle right now is if if i my biggest struggle is that type of stuff i can i can get very resentful very quickly like i'll message somebody i know like somebody i really know and they just won't respond i'm talking like nothing and i'm like okay this person is now my enemy like (laughs) how dare they just completely ignore what i said i get real caught up in petty stuff like that i mean i i'm i'm prone to ignoring things honestly on my phone because especially in the summer because i can't unlock my phone with like a sweaty thumb yeah Uh, and then i can't like type on it so i have like messages on my computer so if i'm at my computer and i'm like working on a song or something i'll like be really quick to text people back and then when i'm off of it and i'm on my phone i'm like way worse to text people back simply because i can't like operate the hardware yes you know but i often think that i'm like do people think i'm like just straight blowing them off because um you know i don't want to do that and then i'll see a text that i like totally missed and i'll be like god i feel like i feel like such an asshole for missing that but i like looked at it and like someone will send me a song or something and i'll like listen to it and then just never text them back even though i did listen to it and like love it or whatever and then you're like shit not now they think i didn't like it you know or something like that. Exactly. And yeah, you're supposed to learn and be like, all right, you know what? I need to text people back right away, right? Yeah, it's impossible to keep up with all of it, though. So that's why I just try to check my my ego and be like, dude, like Tommy was saying, it's not all about you. People are busy. I think that's another that's another point, though. Like, we're talking about the shower and going on a run, right? You're having all these kind of, like, thoughts when you're away from all the distractions yes you know and i find that that's so fucking difficult now especially now you know um i got i think i got through a week where i was not i was leaving my phone in in our bedroom all day and it was like it felt so much better to not be like stuck on instagram and stuck on the news app and like clearing my mind a little bit and reading like actual books and kind of like thinking about lyrics because a lot of times lyrics for me are like pieced together over months where i'm the song is just rolling in my head all the time so it's like you know the riffs playing over and over and over (laughs) again and then i'm like all right i'm coming up with the melody all right this maybe and then all right maybe this is what the song is about and then i'll type that the one line into the note note app or whatever or write it in my notebook and then a month later, oh, that's the second line, you know? Yeah. You can't do that when you're constantly distracted. Right. You have to have those moments of like, and that's why you come up with those things in the shower or when you just get up or like when you're on a run because um, that's when you do that thinking. And that's why, you know, meditation was heavily recommended to me and I don't do it nearly enough because when I do, I feel like I'm able to work out those things and come to the conclusion calmly 
you know what I should do next time? This. Yes. And then when the occasion does come up, I'm like prepared for it, you know, as opposed to, oh man, this band just sent me 720 mix notes. Like, <laughs> I'm going to type a heated email back to them. I was just, I'm never going to do this, you know? It's like, <laughs> luckily I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not as like crazy as I once was about that. I'm be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do these 700 mixed notes and it's going to sound way better. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's fine. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting point. Definitely. It's definitely a, something I do think about a lot. So you said you had a health scare. Now, if you're okay with it, can, can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So how long ago was it and what exactly was going on? Uh, it was in t- the summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. So just just now two years ago right it was the surgery was two years ago on july 10th i believe and what kind of surgery was it um so i was having some problems during the parallel lives writing Mm -hmm. starting to kind of just caught be coughing a lot and like i I developed like a wheeze Mm mm-hmm I was just wheezing all the time. And I went to the doctor a few times. I thought maybe I had allergies. And I did like a breathing test. And they were like, oh, that's, everything's normal. Yeah. And they kind of decided I had like a node on my vocal cord. Mm-hmm. And so because I kept not being able to sing either, it would be completely random. One day I'd be like, fine. And the next day I'd be like, you know, I can't sing at all. Mm-hmm. And I did a bunch of vocal lessons and like that was supposed to help. Um, that was also when she, the vocal coach told me that I brought into those who fell into those carry on. And the reason we don't play it a lot is cause it's insanely out of my vocal range. Yeah. And she taught me how to sing that high note. And I was like, you can do that one show a week Yeah. on tour. So that was where I learned that maybe I shouldn't be singing that ridiculously high, but, um, you know, I, I, it, not, it didn't get better. Like, and I, I remember being in the studio for parallel and being like, just not feeling good and like i remember doing forget the first song on the record and like mike watts the producer was like sounds great sounds great i'm like i'm i'm done i'm not doing it today it doesn't sound right it doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. like and then the next day i was fine and it was it was something that just came about it was it was really odd because i'd been working really hard at being better at singing this whole time and all of a sudden i was going in reverse and so i knew something was wrong and then at some point, I was walking somewhere and I coughed up this giant like chunk of blood. Yeah, and was like, uh, "Shit!" And, and I seriously was standing with my wife, just like, "I don't know what the hell that is." And we just kept going. I was like, "I can't even fucking think about this." But then I started thinking, um, "Do I do I have cancer? Do I have like a bat? Do I have something really serious?" Because, um. When you're young, you just don't even think about it. You know, it was, it seemed impossible. And I'm a really, uh, I'm not a big risk taker and I'm a, a big worrier. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it would, you'd seem like something I might have thought happened to me way earlier. But, um, you know, I just like, I was like, I don't really know. And I went to the doctor and they, they did, couldn't find anything. So, um, right before my birthday of 2018, in April of 2018, I woke up and I had like a horrible fever. And I felt horrible and I had pneumonia, it turns out. And I had to go. I actually flew home to Michigan to help my dad, who had just had cancer, kind of recover. Mm-hmm. And I was like 
coughing and wheezing and couldn't talk. And so they took me to the hospital in Michigan and they had to pump me full of antibiotics and shit. And they were like, all right, you know, you'll be fine. And they sent me home. And then uh, I was doing some stagehand stuff in, in May of that year and woke up the next day, same shit. Oh man. Uh, like 104 fever. And I was like, it was like, uh, it was like that scene in, um, space balls or whatever where he's like oh no not again you know and i'm just like I'm like what the hell yeah you know like and even then i'm still like posting on instagram kind of like these funny shots because we were like we didn't know what, what the hell is going on i'm like and they kept putting me in isolation um because they thought i might have tuberculosis or something so and it was over memorial day weekend so i spent five days in the hospital because no doctors were around because they were all on vacation so I was in like an isolation room and my wife, Sarah could come in with like a mask on and, you know, obviously a very scary, um, kind of mirroring of what's happening to so many people right now. Right. But, um, they basically came back in and were like, you know, there's something lodged in your bronchi. And they kept saying to me, like, could be like a piece of broccoli. And so I kept thinking, like, it's a, oh, it's a, it's like a chunk of something. Yeah. I've heard that before. People aspirate things when they're eating and they just don't recognize that it's, you know, literally. Like, they go, oh, that went down the wrong pipe. Yeah, right? Like, I, and I kept thinking about, like, did I, is there a time? I mean, I remember discussing it with my wife. Like, oh, yeah, remember that time I was, like, coughing on that? It must be that. Again, you know, even, even when you're, like, and they set me up uh, with a surgeon and sat me down and he was like, did anyone tell you what you actually have? You know? And I was like, nope. He's like, you, uh, you have this thing called a lung carcinoid tumor. So it's a, it's actually an endocrine tumor. So it's, it could be anywhere in your body. And mine just happened to be in the bronchi of my lungs that attached the upper right lobe of my lung to the rest of my lungs. Mm. So it had to be surgically removed. It's a really slow growing tumor. So, um, it was very minimal chance that it that the cancer had spread anywhere else in my body. So they were confident that if they just surgically removed it, that would be that. But the the uh the risky part was they were removing my upper right lobe of my lung because the two bouts of pneumonia had basically deflated it and it was essentially useless. Mm -hmm. So they had to remove part of my lung and then um he had to reattach the bottom two lobes of the right side of my lung to the rest of my lungs. Because in order to get rid of the tumor, he had to actually sever the bronchi that attached the entire right side of my lung to like the rest of my body. So if he wasn't able to actually reattach that or scar tissue developed and, and blocked that, you know, I would have lost half my lung, in which case I would not be a singer anymore. So, yeah. um, you know, I basically he was telling me, uh, you know, the the prognosis was good that he was, and he was one of the best surgeons in this entire field. And one of the guys who actually invented the, the procedure was in the room when it was happening. I mean, I, I feel really blessed. I live in New York um, at this time because I was able to get extremely great medical care Yeah, and pretty quickly went like in July, obviously. So it was like a month later I went, I, I was sitting there waiting for the surgery, you know? So it was a pretty quick, um, quick thing. I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. Um, but I did have to obviously prepare for, um, the, the off chance that I might die, you know? So that was kind of weird. Like yeah. calling my friends being like, Oh, these records I didn't finish are on this hard drive. Oh, Will oh you finish God. mixing these? You know, like, 
and just weird shit like that and and things i never ever had to think about before yeah. you know like um and like i said it was it was i mean obviously the, the surgery was horrible it's apparently one of the most painful surgeries you can get they didn't uh they they cut my back it uh, it's like a 12 probably 12 inch incision on my back and then they broke two of my ribs ouch so they could like get in there and pull my my lung out so i and then I had these two kind of tubes sticking out of the side of me that were that were like draining out some sort of fluid out of me. I mean, I I can't even describe to you the the feeling of all that when it was occurring. You know, it was pretty, um, it was pretty horrifying. Yeah. So I, especially with what's going on now, it's really kind of a, it's kind of insane to look at people who have clearly not gone through anything like that acting so reckless and irresponsible in these times because uh i don't want to spend 60 days in the fucking hospital i spent six days at their recovering and that was that was bad enough you know? i straight up that's a hundred percent true because dude i could not have even told you what this was going to be like yeah no one can prepare you uh, the, up until the point of the surgery i was like yeah whatever i got this it's fine yeah and then I was sitting on the on and they were about to put me under and the guys were like you're so calm you're like fine with this and I'm like yeah what else can I be you know <laughs> and like, I was kind of joking around with the guys and then the next thing you know I woke up and I'm like shivering like I'm freezing and sweating at the same time mm-hmm. I can't even comprehend the amount of pain I'm in I'm being rolled down the hallway and some fuck I'm like dude you just wake up from this thing and you're just mangled you know, like I have to imagine that's what it's like to just get hit by a car or something, you know, and you wake up and your just body is just destroyed. Um, and then you have to you have to recover from this thing. I mean, you can't even get up. I had to like do laps around around the, the unit to try to get my strength back, you know, so it's like one lap. You got to do one lap the first day and two the next day. And I always did twice what they wanted me to do because I just wanted to be I wanted to get back to being healthy mm-hmm. and then i had to have this weird like um this like plastic tube thing you blow into to kind of increase your lung capacity again mm-hmm. oh so, yeah and it makes the little balls like the little yeah, ping pong balls rise yeah. up yeah, 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 yeah. it's kind of yeah. fucking fun you know like you had to <laughs> little had game to, uh, and it shows how much your lung capacity is so like by the end of it i was like getting all the way to the top i was like if i can get this all the way to the fucking top again like they're like oh 400's great and i'm like i'm gonna do 550 you know like so I would work on that fucking thing to get my lungs back to the to to full capacity because I knew, you know, I wanted to obviously sing again with no problems yes. and and not have any sort of like lingering side effects from this. And luckily, physically, no, like I would, I could tell you probably ninety nine percent of the time, I ne- I don't feel like um, anything happened. I have nerve damage from the the incision, but. Um, I mean, I, we were just joking around the other day and I, I, we were singing and obviously I fucking sing all the time. So, um, it's a little unfair, but we're like, how long of a note can you hold out? You know? And I like held out a note longer than my wife. And I I was like, and she's a singer too and a great one, but I was kind of like, it makes me proud. It makes me proud to know that like I, I'm technically at a disadvantage now, but I was able to kind of, um, work through it. And now, you know, I feel like 
I can sing better than ever, you know, which is awesome. It's great. It feels really great. And, and to have recovered from that, but the mental part of it was the part that was really hard. And also the part that no one wants to hear about. So that's, that's where it gets really difficult when people are like, so, um, how, how'd that go? You know, the part I just told you is interesting to people. And then they're like, Oh, so you're good now. You're healthy now. So cool. End of story. I feel better because I know now that if I'm young and I get this, I could do it too. And then when you're like, well, no, I'm like terribly depressed. They're just like, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) You know, like no one wants to have that discussion with you. That was luckily I learned that early on where I'm like, all right, man, I'm not going to bring that up anymore at like the bar after two beers because people are like, I want to go home now, (laughs) you know, but that's that's something we've kind of talked about on the show. And well, I was going to say like. For me to connect so deeply with your lyrics time and time again, like you must have gone through some shit. And it definitely sounds like that's the case. But I, my, my, my life was a mess for such a long time. I like really struggled with like various substance abuses and that type of thing. I used it as a way to get over my introversion and just my being terrified of people. It was like a shortcut to connecting with people and, and just getting over my own fear. And I just remember so many nights at bars, like all messed up, like, blah, like telling them my life story, like my brother died and this and that. And people are like, whoa, okay, I'll see you later. Like, you know, and then like people wouldn't want to talk to me. And I was just completely dumbfounded as to why. And I was just making a spectacle of myself, which looking back on it now, it's like, oh man, I wish I didn't do that. But, but, you know, I got over all of that. And, getting over all of that kind of coalesced with me like really connecting with your band so you know just i rediscovering different songs like walls became like my anthem and uh the thing that would save you and just defining new meaning in all these songs and just really connecting with them carried me through like some of the darkest times so i thank you and the band for that, but there's there's so much work to be done after you get through the darkness. There, I mean, I lived my way a certain life for like 15 years, so I, I had to learn to live like a normal adult human at like age 35, and that, and that to anyone listening, like, you know, you don't have to do this shit alone. Like, you can't sit in your house by yourself and will a new life into existence. You can't necessarily like read a book and be like, okay, I'm going to stop acting like the person I've been acting like for the past 20 years now. Like there's resources out there. There's help out there. Kevin, you know, you mentioned you had a life coach and it sounds like you had some help. I found my particular brand of help, which I'm still partaking in every day. Like, like I said before in another episode, you got to find your fucked up community who's going to help you and get you through the darkness. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think, you know, therapy definitely changed my life for sure. And especially helped me accept what my life is now. I mean, I think the biggest problem I was having was I kept thinking I was going to recover and then things would go back to normal. Yes. And then I kept waking up with this, I mean, memory that I can't get rid of, you know what I mean? So like, you can't undo that. You, It's just going to be there. You have to learn how to live with it and deal with it and accept it, you know? And mm-hmm. um, just learning that fact alone was like so incredible for me. And like, there's so many tools that I learned from from that that 
you know, and luckily they, you know, the insurance that I I got on because, because of my wife, luckily, um, they, they ended up kind of just calling me out of the blue and basically being like, well, we offer this to people who, you know, had recovered from cancer. So oh, that's great. I got lucky in that regard, you know, but, um, still I, it, it appalls me how, how, how difficult it is to access those things because I think people, um, they hear that all the time. They hear the like, you know, you don't have to do this alone and we're here for you, but your friends, they don't know what to say, yes. you know, like everyone's been that person and like, that's okay. And they're trying to help and they want to be there for you and they love you, but they don't know what you went through. It's impossible for them to ever know. Yeah. So when you're sitting there and you're telling them these things like, dude, like, I don't understand the meaning of life anymore. Like no one wants to hear that. Right. Like then you're just kind of like, you're, you're projecting that on top of somebody else. And like, that's not healthy for them, right. you know? So to be able to find places to actually deal with that. And again, learn tools. You know, I have like a lot of tools where, you know, you wake up in the morning, ask yourself what your mood is, you know, like something as simple as that, where mm-hmm. you're like scale from one to 10, how am I feeling right now? Because that's going to trigger the rest of the day. You know, like if I'm a, if I'm a one out of 10, I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be short. I'm going to, you know, so let's, let's improve that. Let's not go down that road, you know, just simple things like that, where, um, to, you know, things that you wish that they taught you in school, as opposed to like your state bird, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like how to actually deal with your emotional distress would be fantastic. It's so sad that this country deals with it the way that it does and shames people for it. And I'm not ashamed in any way to say that I went through this stuff and it's hard and it's difficult. And like, like I said, I, I have moments where I just start just crying out of fucking nowhere for God knows what reason, you know I mean? Like, dude, when you go through something like that and again, another point that I think is interesting is that, you know, you, you guys have clearly had these moments in your lives that, that are these super tragic things that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. My moment happened two years ago for me. So all of those lyrics came before that, (laughs) you know? So I think that that's really um, interesting. And then I think think now talking in retrospect about them, it makes me feel differently about them a lot. And it makes me feel uh, most of the time like I had no idea how bad it could have been. You know what I mean? But in the same regard, like I think, you know, everything's relative and a lot of this stuff is universal and I tend to pride myself on um, kind of focusing things in a universal way. So I think that like, if anything, I'm looking back on a song like Walls or a song like In the Morning or a song like, you know, Bloom or whatever and just being like, what, what does that mean to me now? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm almost that, I'm almost you guys in that situation or something where I'm like, looking at it from a different perspective now and possibly what your perspective had been all along. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting for me to think that I might've tapped into that, um, with such little experience with how difficult that actually could be. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause I loved the band before I got my act together and I, I had certain attachments to certain songs. And then once I got my shit together and like, you know, got off everything, the songs took on completely new meanings. So, and I was like, these guys must be going through exactly what I'm going through because this is exactly what's going on in my life right now. Yeah, I think I also was, uh, I think I had 
you know, severe depression that I just did not address until I had to, you know, and I think it got so bad after my surgery that that was when I knew I had to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I think that there was a lot of those issues too. I mean, like, yeah, I have a lot of things that I just bury kind of deep down and they're, those are, those are what manifest themselves in the lyrics of the songs, you know? And, um, those are the things that people, they go to music for because you can't really go anywhere else for, you know what I mean? And I think that that's why, why that was actually there, you know what I mean? And, and not now, because honestly, when I got, after I went through that, I was like, well, damn, like I got something to write about now, you know? And, um, (laughs) writing about it was impossible. It was really, you know, interesting to me how hard it was because, when you're when it's that bad you can't even put it into words you know it's just like um it's indescribable so i think i had to get over my my idea of like i'm gonna write 10 records about this you know because i don't don't think it'll be 10 years before i can actually sit down and write about that specific experience you know yeah when you were telling me the story i was surprised that parallel lives wasn't about that time because you know I've gone back. I I I got into parallel lives. That was probably like at the worst of all my, my all my issues, and I didn't realize like that's that's a pretty sad album. So like I've gone back and listened to it in more modern times, and I'm like, wow, this is this is really sad. But I didn't realize because like you know I was listening to it at my worst. So I'm just like, oh okay, this is music. Yeah, and it has a it definitely has like a bright texture to it a lot of times. Yes, it's not very. Uh... It doesn't have like a dark sound to it. No. So I think that like um that kind of evades some of the subject matter. But like a song like Fade is another one where I thought, you know, I'm really proud of it and it's one of my favorite songs that I've ever written, but it's impossible for me to listen to it. And like I'm betting that a lot of people don't listen to it because it's hard to listen to, you know? So yeah. um it's probably one of those things where I was like, Why why didn't that song completely you know, why is why isn't everyone telling me that's the best song I've ever written? It's like cause it's fuck no one listens to it because they turn on, they're like, yo, that's that's ugh. it's like me in the bar being like, you know what really sucks? You know, like um, so yeah. but yeah, that record's definitely uh, also, you know, and it was the beginning of me kind of going through those things and not really knowing what it was too. So yeah, you know, whether or not that actually played a, a total role in it, um, you know, I think there was definitely elements of me just being like not feeling great, you know, kind of translating to that. It definitely translated to the way I sang on that record a lot too. I know a lot of people were like, um, including the label pure noise that we were on for those two records, like got the demos and we thought they were going to hear them and be like, these guys, they did it. You know, (laughs) like we, we thought we wrote the fucking magnum opus. And we, I honestly think I, I thought we became a band on that record and I'll, I'll defend it to the core because I think it's, I think it's the first record I ever made where I was like, holy shit, we're a band now guys. Like this is actually like us, you know? And, uh, it's not just like post rock with vocals, you know, I felt like it actually was like, we had a style there, you know? And, um, and I remember the label hearing and be like, why aren't you like, why aren't you like yelling like you used to do, you know? (laughs) And me just being like, "Mm," you know? And, uh, (laughs) Cause I honestly, I couldn't, you know, and, um, I remember like recovering from the surgery and going for like a little bit of like, you know, like what I used to do and being like, fuck yeah, I'm back, baby. You know, <laughs> like, cause 
it was really hard. And honestly, the kind of singing I'm doing on parallel is fucking impossible too. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think it was a lot of the reason why it wasn't so aggressive, you know, and it was definitely more of like a, a major key kind of uppity feeling record. Right. Yeah. That, I did notice that bloom and breathe was like way more in your face and a little harder with more screaming and, and that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I when I heard Parallel Lives, I never thought like, oh, they're not doing that anymore. I just thought like, this is a fucking cool record. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people probably felt that way. I think I probably read the three comments online of people who like thought it was soft or something. You know yeah. what I mean? I, it's a, again like, and that was probably the worst of the worst time for me because that record wasn't accepted by like the people who were in charge of it. Really, and yeah. We were like, you know. Like the, it was pretty clear the label didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And we were like about to tour with thrice. It was like our dream come true, yeah. you know? And, um, we were playing for the biggest crowds we ever played for and they weren't really resonating with it because I think thrice fans again, probably would have, if bloom and breathe was coming out right at the head of that tour, it probably would have been different. Yeah. But I was thinking so much like that, the, the stuck cl- clung to the past thing, you know, like the, um, you know, oh, this would have been totally different if X, Y, Z happened. Right. And we we right. were in the van driving from this show to that show, spending the whole time being like, you know what? If if this person would have done this right, we would have been. <laughs> and not thinking like, you know what? Maybe we just write another record. Yeah. You know, like it was just we put we put everything we had into that record, man. I mean, I, we did it for every record. We do it. We put everything we have in everything, but that was something we wrote together in a basement with no outside opinions. No one heard it except for like the producer until we were like finishing the songs. Mm-hmm. And we really thought people were going to hear it and be like, like, oh man, this is like, you know, this is their record, you know? And, and even like, dude, I remember, um, like some of the loudest, like Brad from Loudest Butte was like, dude, this is your wildlife. And that wildlife is like a masterpiece record that they wrote. And I'm like, I, this is a guy that I'm like, really like I look up to and is a great musician. And he's telling me this record is like amazing. And then like, no one's buying it, you know? (laughs) So, um, it was just a weird feeling. It was, it definitely was defeating for us. And we kind of disbanded after that. Uh, you know, in 2017, because we kind of just were like, well, we can't really do it anymore. You know, like, I don't really want to go. We started writing music shortly after that. And it just felt, it felt like we were trying to go back. It felt like we were going back and like retreading stuff because we felt like we had to. And we stopped ourselves really quickly because it was like, this is the first time anything we've done has ever felt forced. So let's just stop, you know? And I'm glad we took that break. Yeah. That's a great decision, though. In that moment, like, where you're trying to, like, you're forcing something and you're feeling like, oh, let's do this. Let's try this. And it's like, it, if it doesn't feel right, you're just like, fuck this, man. Like, because it, it's something that comes out of, like, it's that organic, real emotion. It's something that's authentic. And when you feel like you're forcing it, it's just, it's that never-ending cycle of you doubt yourself and you try to continue harder and you doubt yourself even more because you're like, am I putting too much effort into it? It's, it's just, it's that self-defeating idea. And I think that's one of the best things people can do is when they recognize they're in that, just cutting it being like, fuck it. Definitely, man. We, I mean, we, I mean, like, let's look at it in two perspectives, right? Like we made parallel and it was what we wanted to make and it was everything we wanted to do. And 
it didn't do as well as we wanted it to do. Now I can walk away from that and be like, I made a record that I love and think is amazing and will be happy with until the day I die. Yeah. Versus I'm going to try to make a record that maybe will sell a couple more units. And then if it doesn't do well, then I just wrote a record that I don't even think is good. Yeah. That was forced that doesn't have any. And then there's obvious reasons why no one connected to it. Right. It's like, we write emotionally resonant music. If I don't care about it, like no one else is going to, you know? So um, it was, it was a fantastic decision because it allowed us to put things into perspective and Ethan moved back to Nebraska after that. And, you know, he was there for like six months and we, we kind of, you know, I started kind of writing, trying to write like, a solo record that I'll probably never finish because I'm so bad at finishing stuff without collaborators. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden Ethan was like, I'm moving back. And, um, we just started playing again and we kind of played two of the songs that we were writing, uh, you know, before and we finished them. And then we wrote a third song and that third song we were like, okay, this is new. This is fresh. Mm -hmm. Let's start here. And so we started writing new stuff and, you know, it, it feels like it feels the opposite of force. It feels like amazing. And like that we're writing our best material and like we're being the most creative we've ever been. And it's also the easiest to write the songs because everyone knows each other now and we know everything about our, you know, our strengths and weaknesses. And it's so much easier to kind of be like, to abandon the ones that aren't working out, you know what I mean? Like, and, and to really focus energy on the ones that we love and, and to chase ones that we maybe think are worth the fight, even if they're not working out right away. And like all those decisions are really hard to make when you're a young band. And when you've been playing together for like 10 years, it, it, it kind of becomes easy. So um, we kind of found a rhythm with that. And the really difficult part has actually been finishing the actual recordings, especially now that, you know the pandemic hits so so what's coming up i've seen that you guys are recording on social media and i'm very excited about that is there any plans for the for the new tracks yeah so like i was saying we 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 started recording and we started doing it in a in a different way because i think the the first thing we decided when we got back together was like no rules from anybody Mm -hmm. um and one of the biggest problems, I think, with doing a record is that sometimes some things get missed because you have to do it all in one chunk. Yeah. Um, Parallel, we were we were really lucky because Mike Watts gave us a month in the studio for that record, which in these these days is stupid. So um, I don't know what he's just like. You know, he's just our dude, and was like, yeah, like he he knew it'd be fun to make. So. Um, he knew we'd be screwing around every day with whatever the hell. So, um, we decided, you know, what's the best way to do that without like completely emptying out our entire savings. So we were like, let's, let's write a song at a time and go in and record it. So when it's fresh and new to us and exciting and we just came up with it, we're going to go record it, you know, and then a pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. So the problem with that becomes, well, we're like two thirds of the way through recording, and writing, you know, like, so everything is like, we recorded, we, we recorded the first song in September of last year. So almost a year ago now, mm. but the last one we tracked was in February. So it's kind of like, now you're getting to the point where it's like stuff is getting old 
Like, like the first song we wrote is starting to feel old to me, yeah. you know? Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of become where we're realizing like, and we were, I mean, I had rough mixes of like, like first pass mixes of a couple of songs and we were going to release them um, before this, but we've kind of changed our plans because the release can't really be the way it was originally intended because of the pandemic, because we can't get together and finish writing a large batch of the material that we were working on because it would take a lot of work. It, the songs are there, but they're at the beginning stages. You know, we need to like get together as a band and finish them. Mm -hmm. And because we don't know when the next time we're going to be able to safely do that is like, we kind of had to like decide what to do and, you know, credit to the guys. We kind of had a zoom call and, you know, I get really, um, I get really stuck on like certain things and I love creating concepts and like finding themes in the record mm -hmm. and i found you know i ultimately have to ask myself what the record's about typically to title it and i like it's like holy shit this record is really about you know this particular thing this is really cool oh you know we should start it with this song we should end it with this and then all of a sudden everything kind of comes into place and then we're like well we're not gonna be able to record these songs. we're not gonna be able to finish and record these songs in a year two years and by then the first song we recorded is going to be like three years old, you know? So we're like, what can we do to actually like put this out? So, um, we have one more song that we're going to try to record mm -hmm. and it's, it was actually finished written. So we don't have to actually write it. We just have to get into the studio and record it. Yeah. And the crazy thing is we were going to record it that weekend. We were in the studio like right before this all happened. And, we were like, nah, we don't have enough time. Like, let's let's just do the one song. And I'm glad <laughs> we did, because like the one song we did, you know, I'm of course like, let's let's fucking do all this crazy recording bullshit, which sounds fucking amazing. I'm really glad I did it, but um, it it took up so much time. We were like, well, we're gonna we're gonna want to put this much time into the the other track too. So um, we have that one more track we have to do, and I'm actually going to record all of the vocals for it this week oh good so i've you know i was gonna go two days ago but then he, he's got a studio or a band in a studio right now so we're we're tr kind of trying to figure out the safest way to do it because i'm you know obviously still very um i want to do it responsibly you know and so so yeah like we're working on new stuff and it's it's like really close to being done you know it's just that this situation has definitely changed it and honestly i think what we came up with for how to release it i'm more excited about than i was about the original idea because it just feels like succinct and right to me you know and like i think like when i started looking at the rec the, the songs we have and the and the music we have like i was like you know what this actually makes perfect sense to put out this way and like it, it contains like a really interesting narrative arc to it and you know, I think the songs are, I think it's easier to, to digest the songs in that format. So we had a lot of interesting ideas for how to release. We didn't even want to do like a traditional record. You know, I wanted it to be easier to kind of l focus in on each track, you know, because we put so much time and effort in each song. Why put them all out in once and then six of them don't even get heard, you know? So um, hopefully this way, there'll be a little more focus on each song because we honestly did like 
really put everything we had into it yet again, you know, and I think it's, uh, you know, I'm really, really proud of it and happy that we, we continue to make music and I'm really excited for people to hear it. And I'm excited that, you know, hopefully it'll come out relatively soon because, you know, we don't have, we didn't have tours lined up or anything. We were still kind of in like a hiatus when we were writing, you know, we were kind of waiting to have stuff to then pitch to, you know, labels and and whatever to kind of like figure out what we wanted to do or self-release it. We don't really know. So, um, we weren't sure yet, you know, and, and this is kind of definitely put, put it in a, in a weird spot where we're even less sure, but, um, you know, there's so many bands that are in the same position, so it's not really a huge concern for me. Uh, I just want to get it done and, and have, and have it out because I think Dan, our drummer said it the best. He was like, we're going to write more songs, you know? So we were like, let's, yeah, you're right. Let's just put these out and write more songs. Well, we look forward to this new release, hopefully when it comes out soon. And, uh, listen, we just want to thank you for coming on the show. This was, this was really awesome. And your music has, you know, Tommy and I have just really connected over it and, I mean, every release we just love. So, you know, we're really looking forward to the next one. Well, thank you guys for having me. And, and thanks for listening to our band, you know, and, and for sticking with and with us. And I know it's like, uh, you know, 2016 is the last time we put out anything. And, you know, we we toured maybe once after that. But um, to still have you guys reaching out now and, and wanting to talk to me and, you know, know that our music is still kind of out there and people are you know, waiting to hear what we're doing next and anticipating that it's, it's exciting for us, you know, cause ultimately we do just, we just love each other's company and, and playing music. Like I said, I, I feel like really grateful. I met these guys and, um, this is my band for life. You know, these guys are like, they're, they're the people that I love creating music with. And they're the people who send me these ideas that I'm never not going to just be inspired by, you know? So, um, that's what we do it for. But, um, also, we have this kind of like extended family of people that listen to our music now. And I've met so many cool people through that and and people who, you know, connect with it like you guys, you know, and that, yeah. that's really important to us, too. So it's it's cool to be able to to talk to you guys and, and you know, that, that you're still kind of here with us. And, you know, I'm happy for that. So Oh, yeah, man, we're not going anywhere. So when you were playing a show again, you played St. Vitus with Glassing and a bunch of other bands. I was like, fuck, yes, they're back. So. Whenever you're playing around this area, I'll 100% be there. And thank you to Kevin and the rest of the band for writing so much awesome music. Yeah, thank you guys, man. And hopefully live shows will come back soon and we will be playing some. So, And if not, we'll figure out a way to do awesome. it. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, everybody, so now we're here with friend of the show and returning guest, Josh Brigham of Hope's Fall. Josh, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. I'm stoked to be chatting with you guys again. <laughs> this is so awesome. You know, it, it's only been a couple months since you've been on the show, and I feel like my entire life is completely different. It's wild. Do you feel like that at all? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm still doing the same things. Um, I'm still, uh, doing beer stuff with, with the brewery that I work for. And, uh, I'm still 
teaching foundation training as much as I can. Yeah, I saw you launched the uh, Instagram page. How's that going? It's great, actually. Um, there's gyms that have reopened here in Charlotte in the sense that you can do outdoor stuff with people distanced. That's cool. Uh, That's good. So, um, yeah, and I've been happy to do that. And people have been happy to, uh, you know, like participate in, in that scenario, in that setting. And uh, But I'm still doing plenty of stuff online just FaceTime, like teaching people and yeah, that's good. So, that's yeah, good. I'm happy. So I wanted to get you on because as we know, Hum has released <laughs> their first new album in 22 years. Inlet, I haven't gotten a chance to talk to anybody about it yet. And we are Hum super fans. We so, are. <laughs> now, <laughs> we are. <laughs> we are. Yes, that is correct. Now, when the day... The album was posted. I first I saw there was a a vinyl announcement, like they're they're selling the vinyl. So I'm like, great. At some point, I'm gonna be able to hear the new Hum album. And I texted you. I was like, new Hum album. And you're like, yeah. And then I go to the Poly Vinyl site and I see there's a new song. And I was like, <gasps> and I text you and I was like, new song. And you're like, what? And then I go to Hum's Instagram page and they said the whole album is up on Bandcamp. And I was so scared. Because, like, you know that nervous, anxious, like, excitement you get when an album, when a band you really, really love has a new album that you out, and you're like, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be great? Like, that that anticipation. Yeah. No, I, I, I remember I was sitting outside of a Quick Trip gas station yeah. when the news hit, and a barrage of text messages and emails like kind of come, and, you, know, you, you know, it's like, like everybody's on like red alert. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'm sitting in the gas station parking lot, just head, you know, buried in my phone, sending yeah. text messages and like trying to figure out, okay, how do I order this vinyl to make sure that I get it now? Um, how do I get like, let me make sure I've got every, like, I was like, do I have Bandcamp? I don't even. So I went, yeah, you know, <laughs> like got that, made sure I had it. And yeah. then I'm just listening to the record and like people are texting me like, oh shit. And, you know, I had like 10 threads going. That was just the hum record. I got very little done that a day. Oh, other me too. than listening to the hum record. Isn't it funny? Or it's like you're almost part of it. You're like, handling all this communication and sending out all these messages because like a band you like released an LP. <laughs> I felt very important, but in a very tertiary way. <laughs> I thought it was funny as Keith, Keith texted me all excited. He's like, there's a brand new hymn album. I was like, what? Great. The <laughs> like the heart band, like that one that's like Bam's band. Like what the fuck do you care, dude? And he's like, yeah. and then I get like a text like two seconds later. I meant home. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes way more sense. <laughs> God damn it, Siri! <laughs> How did you fuck this up? <laughs> Tommy, Tommy almost quit the podcast because I, I was, I was he like, thought I was a hum or a him super fan. Yeah, dude. I'm like, I don't. I don't even know. Like, I, I, I didn't know. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was like, has he told me that he's a big him fan and I just wasn't listening or I kind of tuned it out? Like, like, oh, this is just like one of Keith's guilty pleasures. And then, but like, you, you sent it to me in like all caps. I was like, what the fuck is he excited for? <laughs> <laughs> it made no sense to me. So I finally listened to the album. Well, not finally. I mean, yeah, I put it on pretty it soon. Immediately. Yeah. And right away, I'm like, this is it. This is it. Like the first song, what's the first? Waves. Yes, it was just like 
pure hum, excellent cycling through the songs, and then I get to uh, the summoning. Now, when I when to this day when I hear the leads in that song, like I get chills every time. It was just, it was just everything I had hoped for and more. Because you know, when a band is like inactive for a really long time, sometimes they come back and go in a different direction, which can be cool. Or sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's just off. Like something's not there. But I think this is spot on, and I like every single song on the album where what do you think josh i think that everyone that i've talked to that's a hum fan feels the exact same way that they were like you know what this is a progression obviously it's been 22 years since downward is heavenward came out yeah and it went in a way and it took me a few listens to be like because it was just like I, i was in shock you know i just didn't know what to make of it i mean obviously um track four uh oh god now that we're talking about it and losing uh, step into you right before yeah yeah, right before the summoning and um that was my like standout like okay this is a hum track you know it sounds like electra 2000 or something and you know everything else was a little more like stonery and vibey and almost even dreamier yeah you know because it was like spaced out and like like even more mid-tempo, almost down-tempo. Uh, but man, I mean, it just, it hits, and it, it it hits on all the right spots, and you just get lost in it, and I don't know, it makes a lot of sense. You put it in context of the rest of the catalog, and I immediately want to jump to, like, all right, what songs are they going to play live off this yes. record to put, like, a master set together that I'm going to be fucking stoked about, you yeah. know? So I, 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 dude, I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I'm still thrilled. Yeah, it's you know? very rock. It's, it's very rocking. It's a very rocking album. Like the summoning is like almost like straight up Soundgarden. It's it's massive. It's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's just it's it's riffs on riffs. You yes. know, uh, the only thing that I was gonna say that like I love. Brian St. Pierre is a drummer so much and it feels like he pulled back a little bit to kind of sit yeah. more in the pocket with yeah. some of the stuff. And that's, you know, that's fine. I just, it's like, I know what the guy's capable of and I just want to hear these songs live. Cause I want to see like, what does he do to like spice it up and add in like little nuggets of him? You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Not, not, not him. the band, him. not, not the band, yeah. him, but like <laughs> oh, Mr. St. Pierre. But like Sorry. his own flair, like Sorry, his own Tommy. flair. No, no, no. Of course, but like putting his own flair on it. What's it going to sound like? Those those nuances, like when it's live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I if I have one minor complaint, it's I I was hoping for like a soul cr- one soul crushing track, like similar to Apollo, like a really sad one. But there wasn't a song like that. But I mean, you know, we got like ten great songs or however many it is. So it's, it's all eight, good. but it's an hour. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple eight minute songs on there. Yeah, like eight minute plus. And they, yeah. they've never had those eight minute plus songs prior no. to this. And uh, yeah, but it just feels very natural. It feels very home. I mean, it's those guys jamming. They're just being who they are, and this is who they are now. Yeah, and it was such a pleasant surprise, given how shitty this year has been for many, many people, and you know, it's been a difficult year. For me, but uh, this was a, just a, a great surprise because I knew that album was, was coming, but I had no idea when. 
Right. I, I mean, they'd been hinting at it and there'd been talks of it for, for foreshadowing for, I, I swear to God, like a decade. <laughs> right like yeah. and you just didn't know and the, the fact that they decided like oh it's june 2020 let's do it this tuesday and just <laughs> <laughs> let's just throw it out there no one knows it's coming so just excellent album and josh you and uh hopesful have a history with matt are you on, are you in any kind of communication with him where you would reach out and be like yo good I stuff did. i did yeah? i texted him i texted oh, matt and awesome. i was like hey man like just just tuning into the record. I don't text him all the time. I don't want to bug the guy. Exactly. You know, but I've got his number, you know, and it's like, hey man, we're all tuned in. We're all stoked. This is great. Super That's excited awesome. for you guys. You know, big love from the Hope's Fall Camp. And he just texted back like, Oh, so glad you enjoy it. Like great to hear from you. Hope all is well. I also sent several glowing messages like that through several mediums with of course an offer to come on the show uh i haven't heard yet back yet but my fingers are crossed so maybe that will happen maybe that will happen one day that would that would be a dream guest and uh, i have an idea for you josh okay It's, it's it's probably an idea you've had before but uh hum hopesful tour 2021 what do you think uh i think i would literally drop whatever it was that i was doing to make that happen yeah like birth of a child you know relative in the hospital anything oh yeah those things aren't important (laughs) (laughs) in the grand scheme of things i mean to be like yo i got to go play shows with my favorite band ever yeah like sorry sweetheart i mean you got this there's nothing i'm really gonna (laughs) do with the birth here what do you what do you want me to do like feed you some ice cubes they have they have hospital texts for that Oh, yeah. Just film it. We'll catch up I, later. I got to go play this show. I mean, come on. <laughs> but um, no, no, no. no. Uh, we, we would love to, you know, if that's a thing. Uh, once shows get happening again, I mean, we would love to be thrown into the mix. I'm sure every band is just itching to play right now. Every freaking band in the world that had plans this year is like scratching. Just like, oh, come on. Let's get this. Let's get on with it already. Let's go play some shows. Can you imagine like the level of shows? Like, how many shows are you going to go? Like, you're going to buy take you're buy like every presale thing and like figure it out. I thought about that yesterday. I was like, I'm going to go see bands I don't even really care about. I'm just like, you know, whatever's happening at St. Vitus, I'm going over there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. How close do you live to St. Vitus? I could walk there. In half an hour. That's a cool little spot, man. We were really excited when we got to play there. Like, that's a, such a fun place. It's a great venue. It's a great it's a, venue. And it's a great neighborhood. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's yeah. my favorite place to see shows. That's so cool that you could just have that and go walk to that. Is there any news on the Hope's Fall front? No. No? I'm sorry. Yeah, nothing. We're all just, like, kind of twiddling our thumbs being like, when's it? When would it be acceptable to start practicing again in hopefully preparation to shows being a possibility later? We we don't even know. I haven't. I still yeah. haven't touched a guitar. Really? Oh, wow. I still haven't touched a guitar this whole time. Yeah. I. You, oh, you know what? I did. I did open mine to write a riff. There was a riff that I came up with, and then I was like, "Let me see if I remember how to play it." So I opened up my guitar case real quick and then played it. 
And then I was like, okay, that's good. It's still there. Uh, yeah, so I can remember it if I need to. But yeah, I, I haven't really done anything musical at all because I'm I'm doing this. Yeah, I haven't done a thing. But this is cool though, like that you guys have like gotten this up and running in this time period. Um I was talking to uh Brendan uh from Circa because he's got his podcast up and running. You talked to him the other day, right? Yeah, we chatted the other day. We didn't we didn't finish like we're going to have to get back on again cuz it was so late at night. And um but we we talked about we talked about this podcast and um but like it's weird the creative things and the the things that have come about due to COVID and you would think like oh this is a perfect time to just like stockpile and write music and clearly it worked out for Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, which I listened to that record again. And it's good. It's it, now. What is it? Is it is 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 it just a new Taylor Swift record? Because I saw I saw you posted. She's guesting with a Bon Iver and Bon Iver. How do we say it? I still I don't, know. don't know. I think that's. I think it's. I think it's Bon Iver because I think it in it means. Uh, it's. I think it's Good Winter in uh-huh. French. I'm relying on three years of high school French to do that, so <laughs> don't don't quote me on that. Whatever, dude. We all know you're an intellectual. You're part of the intelligentsia. <laughs> you, you, know, you explained this to us a lot of time. You're like, I teach math, and everyone was in reverence. They were like, oh, okay, <laughs> I, this guy's on, actually I fucking smart. He's not just some like fucking stoner scene kid. Like, oh, I do. I, keep in mind, I, I teach sixth grade math, so I teach like pre-algebra stuff. I, dude, Keith, could you do a pre-algebra problem right now on the spot? Absolutely not. Math was my worst <laughs> subject in school. Yeah, Absolute you, worst. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. It's funny. Um, the, I couldn't do like the, the more advanced algebra when I got to the, the higher level classes. I remember a couple times I, I would do all my uh, work at the library on Saturday morning. So I would reserve one of the quiet rooms in the back. And I remember I opened up a unit and I sat on like, I don't know, probably about five or 10 minutes. And I really just put my head in my hands and I was like, what kind of mistake did you just make? <laughs> like, you just com- you just committed to take all of these courses. And I'm looking at a problem going like, I don't even know what one of the symbols was in the problem. It was a sigma symbol. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like I had to like look all this stuff up. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to take a lifetime. And in my head, I'm going like, I have a pregnant wife and twin, you know, twin five-year-olds sitting back at my house waiting for me to get back. Like this is me trying to get my work done in a quiet space. And I'm like, I have made a gigantic mistake. But the nice part is, is like, once you get... going to bring food home. (laughs) (laughs) But once you get back into the habit of it, um, it it really does start to click. Like there's parts you remember and you go, oh yeah, that's why that works. Like, and then um, it depends on who's teaching it to you too. Like I I did a lot of stuff through um, like just searching YouTube videos and I found some really good tutors on YouTube for free where they would explain a really complicated problem in, you know, two and a half, three minutes. And by the time you were done watching it, you were like, Oh, that's not nearly as complicated as the problem actually sounds. So taking that intimidation factor out is huge. Not only have you offered up a, uh, how you overcame a problem by, you know, like, you know, figuring something out and like finding different resources and stuff like that. But you've also given me an excuse and I can blame my teachers for my lack of understanding because I didn't have a good one, clearly. 
Guys, I have a question. Yeah. How do we always end up talking about math for like fucking ten minutes oh, when Josh is here? I don't know. What, what, I don't know. What do we? I'm I'm pointing a virtual finger at Josh on this one. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even bring it up. Uh, I'm gonna point a virtual finger at Mike Shaw because it's like I saw on his Instagram today. Uh, oh yeah, uh, a picture oh, the math of him wearing shirt. a math shirt. So yeah. I'm gonna say that somehow that subconscious. I just don't want to be culpable <laughs> for any of my own mistakes. <laughs> I'm looking to lay blame elsewhere. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Tommy, I, I I have another question. F- yeah, for you. Yeah. When ha- do you breathe when you talk? Because when you when you're talking, like you keep going. Oh, I don't know. And and like um, there's like not a break. How do you how do you like get oxygen? <laughs> <laughs> I do that thing that people that play didgeridoos do. It's that cycle breathing. That's how they can keep that notation. No, yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think one of the things is uh Wait, wait, wait. Don't start up yet. Cuz then there's there's another thing. Like when I go to when I go to edit, like, you know, usually someone will make a statement and then stop, and then that's like a good point for me to cut it and do something, but but you'll connect sentences cuz you'll be like and the thing is and then sentence and this sentence is sentence like you you it it just keeps going it's incredible he's a teacher <laughs> he's got to like, <laughs> can't let the kids like get a war, fucking word in edgewise you know or nothing's going to get accomplished it's a, it's a skill to be able to just be like cogent idea like just put the whole fucking thing together mm. you know and just no breaks just bam 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 it is I have to piece it together to make myself sound like competent because I like stutter and trip over words. <laughs> so that, you know, like, but Tommy, he, he can just take it, man. If you could have just edited out some of those likes I was saying, like, God damn, dude. Like, I still <laughs> like so fucking much. Really, what really drew me to it. So now I'm trying to consciously, actively not do that. Listening to yourself on this show will make you a much better orator. I've, I've, I've improved a lot over these months. I actually, uh, I've listened to a couple of the episodes, like in bits and pieces, like when I'm doing work downstairs and, uh, there's a couple sections on the, the Brad Truax one where I'm like, I literally put my head in my hands and I'm like, Oh no, like just stop, <laughs> like just stop talking, please. Just, it's me. It's just me yammering. And I'm like, and it's the worst part is it's like me, like waxing philosophical about life. I'm like, fuck, I sound like such an ass, like just stop talking, like <laughs> Please, like, just and I, I, I'm this is in the emo category. You can I'm, wax philosophical. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm pleading with a YouTube video, like, stop talking for the love of God. Just, but no. Again, I, you're listening to it on YouTube. Yeah, Dude. bro. No, I'm just, I'm just messing around. Subscribe already on Spotify. Jesus Christ. Oh um, yeah, Tommy, subscribe to our. Ch- oh wait, you are sc- subscribed to me. Yeah, I, I was going to say we we could use the subscriber. <laughs> Well, boys, we're we're at the end of the hour here. So, Josh, I want to thank you for hopping on with us and catching up. It's always a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure and... to 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 be on. It's a pleasure to talk with you, gentlemen. Yes, Man, thank you so much to all of our wonderful listeners. Remember to subscribe to us and review us and like us and comment and share and all those wonderful things that help us out. Spread the word. Because this is a good podcast. I mean, who wouldn't want to listen to this? Oh, one quick final question for Josh. Better podcast, Off the Beat with Brendan Ekstrom or The Northeast Scene with Keith and Tommy? Oh, Go. God damn, dude. That's fucking rough. I know. I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs>
Brendan is a, a wonderful close friend of ours and folks check out his podcast too because why not the more the merrier absolutely Josh thank you and thanks everybody for listening and until next time